Well, hey there. Welcome to Pick 6 Movies, where each season we select six movies that are all related to one single theme. Then, on each episode, we explore the people in front of and behind the camera and try to make some sense out of how and why each movie was made. But that's not all. After that, we give you a detailed review of the entire movie to see if they're any good. I'm Chad Cooper, and along with Mr. Bo Ransdell, someone that I've known for a very long time, we are presenting this season's theme, You Can Do It, featuring six super sexy cinematic sensations. Whoa, whoa, what just happened to our music? And the lights just dimmed. I smell incense. Is it just me or did it get sexy in here? This is season six, and the word six is just one little E away from spelling the sexiest of sexy words, S-E-X. And that little letter E is just one dud and an L-Y from spelling Dudley, as in Dudley Moore. And come to think of it, the word six, well, it's just missing the letter B and the letter O. And then you just minus the S and remove the letter I and then get rid of that X. And then you have the word bow, as in Bo Derek. And there you have two of the people featured in tonight's super sexy film, Ten. Who else is in this movie? Well, the super sexy Julie Andrews. You know, Mary Poppins, y'all. This movie is arguably the most bananas film we have ever discussed on Pick 6 Movies that doesn't feature Swamp Thing. So you know what? Let's get this episode of Pick 6 Movies rolling as Bo introduces us to the 1979 American romantic comedy, Ten. You know, six is four ones away from being ten. That's math. And math is sexy. Bo, take it away. Mary Kathleen Collins was born in 1956 to Paul Collins, an executive with the Hobie Catline of Catamarans, and Norma Collins, a makeup artist and hairdresser to Anne Margaret. She was a California girl, blue-eyed and blonde-haired, and attended school in Harbor City, California until the age of 16. It was at this age that Mary Kathleen Collins met an actor and director named John Derrick. John Derrick had been a handsome young actor when he appeared in Since You Went Away and I'll Be Seeing You, both movies released in 1944. If you remember your history, You may recall that in 1944, the whole world was embroiled in a giant misunderstanding called World War II. Derek was one of many young Americans to go overseas to the Philippines. When he came back from the war, he picked up where he left off, finding roles in A Double Life and Knock on Any Door. In his day, the Los Angeles Times called him, quote, a handsome, hot-eyed newcomer who makes the case for this product of the city's slums. Live fast, die young, and have a good-looking corpse. All too fascinating for everybody's comfort. In 1948, Columbia Pictures signed Derek to an eight-year deal. During that time, he was married to his first wife, Patty Bears Aristov, 
a prima ballerina from Turkey. He never made it to real stardom, but he worked. He had roles in All the King's Men, Rogues of Sherwood Forest as Robin Hood, a war movie called Thunderbirds. He was what we would today call a working actor with glimpses of true notoriety. In 1955, John Derrick met Ursula Andress, a 19-year-old Swiss actress who gained fame as the very first Bond girl in Dr. No, opposite Sean Connery. Derrick was still married to his first wife, but simple marriage bonds can't stop a man who has met his true love. So he walked out on his wife and shacked up with Andrus, who he would later marry in 1957. The happy couple worked together on films like A Nightmare in the Sun in 1965, which Derrick co-produced. John Derrick was eager to transition from acting to something more. In a rare bit of self-awareness, Derrick said of his transition, he, quote, was never into it. If they'd given me the greatest role in the world, it wouldn't have helped. I used to go to the directors of my films and say, I'm not an actor, but I'll turn up on time and know my words. In the 13 films I made, I only ever did one take per scene. Directors never went for a second because they knew it'd be no different from the first. End quote. In 1965, Ursula Andress left John Derrick for French actor Jean-Paul Belmondo. In fairness, it is a much sexier name than John Derrick. Jean-Paul Belmondo. Derrick was shattered for what might have been weeks before he fell into a relationship with Linda Evans, who was 23 at the time. Practically an old lady. While John Derrick cobbled together some directing work, Linda Evans was a pretty big star in her own right as one of the cast of the very popular Western television drama, The Big Valley. Evans, at Derek's request, scaled back her time on set so she could spend more time with Derek. Oh, she also helped him pay his alimony to his former wife. Class act, John Derek. Yet, love conquers all, and Evans and Derek were thrilled to be in love and together, and they married in 1968. Then, in 1973, Derek lined up a gig to direct a film called Fantasies. It was here that the tale of romantic impresario John Derek and Mary Kathleen Collins intersect. Mary Collins was attending high school in 1973. She was just 16, after all, when she was cast by John Derek for a role in his upcoming film. The movie would be shot in Greece, and John Derek. The love of his life to that point, Linda Evans, and Mary Kathleen Collins, who had recently taken up the nickname Bo, a name I like quite a lot, all traveled to Europe to make the film. During the shooting, John Derrick realized that the love of his life was not in fact Linda Evans as he had previously suspected, and a bit of a shocker to both of them, one presumes, it was instead the now 17-year-old girl in his new movie. What luck! He and Bo, not me, started up an affair during production and, when the film wrapped, Linda Evans returned to the United States while John Derrick and Bo, again, not me, celebrated their 30-year age difference by not returning to the United States, where John Derrick would almost assuredly be charged with statutory rape, what with committing statutory rape and all. Later in life, Bo, not me, would express regret for breaking up a marriage. But let's be honest, she was the least of the problems in this scenario. But John Derrick was in love with love, and he and Bo, still not me, 
waited until she was 18 and married before making their way back to the U.S. Now known as Bo Derek, Mary Kathleen Collins was set to take Hollywood by storm. Fantasies, the movie John Derek was making with his former and later wife, two different people, would not be released until 1981 because of stinkiness. Bo, I wish this had been me, would star in Orca, the Killer Whale, opposite real deal actor Richard Harris, a movie about an aquatic monster that terrorizes a fishing town that in no way harkens back to the classic film Jaws, which came out only a couple of years before. 1979 would launch Bo Derek into superstardom, at least for a time. It was then that Bo Derek was cast over future stars like Melanie Griffith and Heather Thomas in the role of Jenny in Blake Edwards' latest film, Ten. We pause the story of Mary Kathleen Collins now to talk about Blake Edwards. Worth noting, my brother's name is Blake, mine is Bo. Both names appear in this story, but neither are us. I only say that because he listens to this show. What were we talking about? Oh yeah, Blake Edwards. So Edwards began his career as an actor in the 1940s himself, not unlike John Derrick. He described his time in front of the camera as contentious, having spent much of it being directed by some of the greatest directors in film history, Billy Wilder and Otto Preminger among them, and arguing about their direction. He said he, quote, learned a lot from them, but I wasn't a very cooperative actor. I was a spunky, smart-ass kid. Maybe even then I was indicating that I wanted to give, not take, direction. In 1959, he directed his first hit, Operation Petticoat, produced by and starring Cary Grant and Tony Curtis, a movie in which a submarine captain, played by Cary Grant, is all sixes and sevens when his submarine is invaded by l-l-l-ladies. Can you imagine women in the military? Oh, mercy. That led to Breakfast at Tiffany's in 1961, a classic movie I haven't seen. Then Days of Wine and Roses, starring Jack Lemmon as an alcoholic, also not seen, but sounds fun. But besides Breakfast at Tiffany's, Edwards is best known for the Pink Panther films, in which the brilliant comedic actor Peter Sellers portrayed the bumbling inspector Clouseau. Of their collaboration, Edwards said... We clicked on comedy and we were lucky we found each other because we both had so much respect for it. We also had an ability to come up with funny things in great situations that had to be explored. But in that exploration, there would oftentimes be disagreement. But I couldn't resist those moments when we gelled. And if you ask me who contributed most to those things, it couldn't have happened unless both of us were involved, even though it wasn't always happy. Edwards was a very popular director for much of his career, and he frequently returned to themes of disillusionment and absurdity. Such themes are rife in the subject of our discussion, 10. The story of a man suffering a midlife crisis, aka being an asshole to everyone around him, 10, stars Dudley Moore as George Weber. Moore was best known as half of a comedy team with Peter Cook. The two of them had done television and comedy records, movies, and the stage. After their split, Moore moved to Hollywood where he planned to focus on his acting career. He showed up in a supporting role in the Chevy Chase, Goldie Hawn movie, Foul Play, before Edwards cast him in the lead for 10. Julie Andrews would play George's wife, Samantha, an easy get since Blake Edwards was married to Julie Andrews and had previously starred in other films under his direction. And of course, Bo Derek as Jenny Hanley, 
the object of George's lust and obsession. For you character actor fans, and I know there are literally tens of you, you can catch Brian Dennehy in an early role as the bartender Don. The movie was released on October 5th, 1979, and became one of the top grossing movies of that year. Official critic of Pick 6 Movies, Roger Ebert, called it one of the best films Blake Edwards ever made, which was intended as a pure compliment and not the backhanded one I hear when I read that. And Gene Siskel, the yen to Ebert's yang, weirdly opined the movie, quote, turns out to be a gentle essay on the problems of male menopause. Ugh, keep it in your pants, Siskel. In the aftermath of Tin's success, Dudley Moore would star in Arthur just a couple of years later, which made him a super-duper megastar, and is a genuinely great movie. Julie Andrews remained evergreen, working more with her husband and continuing to be a cinema icon. Edwards himself was on the downslope of his career after 10, though there were bright spots like Victor Victoria and Mickey and Maude, also starring Dudley Moore in a role that would net him a Golden Globe. Edwards passed away in 2010, with Julie Andrews and his kids at his side. That's nice. Moore is also deceased, having fallen victim to a disorder known as progressive supranuclear palsy, a disease that causes irreversible brain damage. His last marriage was a rocky one, and at the time of his death, the woman at his side was Rena Fruchter, a music columnist for the New York Times and a concert pianist who shared Moore's love of music. The two toured together some, as Moore himself was quite an accomplished pianist. When he died, Fruchter said his last words were, quote, I can hear the music all around me. May angels sing thee to thy rest, sweet prince. But what of our heroine? Mary Kathleen Collins, now Bo Derrick. Well, John was quick to capitalize on the success of Ten, and he brokered a deal to direct a movie and Bo, not me, to star in said film, an adaptation of the Edgar Rice Burroughs classic Tarzan the Ape Man, only, you know, with more boobs. The movie was naturally greeted with derision because Bo Derrick wasn't much of an actress and John Derrick wasn't much of a director. When the box office was just as weak as the reviews, the movie that John Derrick wanted to make, Eve and That Damned Apple, was canned due to it being a terrible idea to give John Derrick money to make movies. So he went to Canon Films, which did not discriminate against untalented filmmakers, and he got a new project lined up called Bolero, which was interestingly the music that played in the love scene between Dudley Moore and Bo Derrick in 10. The song became popular following the film's release, and now John Derrick was making a movie based on the song that his young bride helped repopularize. Ouroboros, anyone? By the way, that's the music you hear right now. Bolero told the story of a young American woman trying to get laid on a jet-setting world tour that involved underage girls and sheiks. It's atrocious. One of the canon chiefs, Menahem Golan, urged Derek to make his film as sexually explicit as possible. Well, this movie was intended to be released by MGM Studios, a for-real movie company, who saw the finished product and refused to release Bolero as an X-rated film, which is certainly what the rating would have been. Because of the rating, it was only released in a few theaters, and it was a total dud financially. It did, however, win the coveted Golden Raspberry Awards, including Worst Screenplay, Actress, Director, and picture. A Silence of the Lamb style sweep. 
for more about the raspberries, please reference Pick 6 Movies Season 5, Episode 5. It would be six years before John Derrick made another movie. The also horrible Ghosts Can't Do It, which starred Bo Derrick and is synopsized thusly. Scott and Kate are happily married despite their 30-year age difference. After Scott suffers a heart attack and is unable to have sexual intercourse, he commits suicide and becomes a ghost that only Kate can see and speak with. To make it possible for Scott to return as a human, they conjure up a plan to have a young man drown so that Scott can take his body. Ew. At the time of the filming, John Derrick was 64 while Bo, definitely not me, was 34. W. John Derrick died in 1998, having never found another child bride. Bo Derrick has popped up in all kinds of movies since, mostly cameos and comedies, and the Golden Raspberries are quick to nominate her for Worst Supporting Actress whenever she pops up. She is passionate about horses and spends much of her time with her sister and family in California caring for said horses. Sounds alright, really. In an interview reflecting on her life, Bo Derrick summed things up nicely. Quote, Life has played some funny tricks on me and taken me on a wild ride. How did I ever get into this wonderful mess that is my life? End quote. How indeed. And how does Ten fare when viewed through a modern lens? Is it truly one of the best movies of 1979? Is it actually funny? And what the hell was Gene Siskel talking about when he called it a gentle essay on the problems of male menopause? For these answers and more, Bows and Blakes... Ladies and gentlemen, I offer you 10. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to Pick 6 Movies. This, of course, is episode 2 of season 6. Uh, this season is entitled... Wait, it's You Can Do It! I keep saying the uh, the mating season, because that was also discussed at one point. I like to call this season, You Can Do It. You Can you can Do It. Is, is Should the the emphasis be on the do? You can do it. I think it's, it's more on the emphasis of, like, you can do it. Mm. Okay. You can, you can do it. Like, like it's gentle persuasion. My- it all it's getting into the realm of being creepy. <laughs> you can do it. Hey yeah. everybody. Hey. I'm Chad Cooper. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> sorry. I got distracted from the introduction, Chad. We're, we're, we're just turning each other on here. <laughs> it was only a matter of time. If like this uh, this whole show has been a will they won't they building up to this moment. <laughs> so folks, thank you for joining us. Look, uh we are talking tonight about the movie 10. If you don't know what this movie is, uh, and the introduction (laughs) didn't explain it (laughs) uh, succinctly for you, here's the thing. This movie was a big deal when it came out. Mm -hmm. Uh, The the shot of Bo Derek running on the beach was Mm -hmm. iconic at the time. Yes, it was as big as the Farrah Fawcett poster. It was as big as any, any of the Charlie's Angels, quite frankly. 
Well, but even even more in a more contemporary sense, it was um, up there with shit. Who is the guest girl who married the one hundred year old guy that she was? A oh, stripper? Anna Nicole Smith. Yeah, it, this was this was iconic as even Anna Nicole Smith in her guest layout. I'm trying to think of other, you know, maybe Tawny Contain rolling around on the hood of that car in that White Snake video. I, I think what? that's a very good one. It's Phoebe Cates coming out of the pool in yeah. in uh, Fast Time. It's it's that kind of thing of like this scene rocketed some teenagers older than me into puberty. Absolutely. It was parodied in was it parodied in one of the Muppet movies? Was it? I, I now that you say this, I, I remember this, but I, I I can't tell you which one. I don't but think it was the original a, Muppet. But it was a it was a big deal. Trust it me. Was, it was yes, a big yes, deal. yes, yes. Let me also just go on record and say this officially. From all the episodes that we've done thus far, this movie is the most bananas movie we have ever done on this show. Nothing comes even close to the insanity that we are about to describe. Even more so than Return of Swamp Thing, you you say? Absolutely. All right. I, I'm not convinced at the outset. Return of Swamp Thing took place in a comic book world. I mean, it created a certain parameter and then existed within that. Like, they created rules and then they abided. This movie is just bonkers. You remember that movie Skin Deep that Blake Edwards did? Mm-hmm. That's real fucking crazy, too. And I also want to go just to make let everyone know that if I'm being considered for the jury of, of is this movie good or bad, I think Blake Edwards is an overrated hack. I think he's terrible. <laughs> I think he's never made a good movie ever. And I'm including Breakfast with Tiffany's and all those Pink Panther movies. I think the Pink Panther movies have some really funny performances by Peter Sellers. But I just, I've, I saw a lot of his movies and every one of them, they were just, they're atrociously bad. They're unfunny. I, one thing you noted in your intro where he said that a lot of the comedic, you know, magic that happened could have only occurred with Peter Sellers and he being together, which I was like, Bo, that's like this show only occurs when you and I are together. Like, well, of course you have to have the comedic genius of, you know, this other guy. I don't know that you necessarily in this, you know, exhaustive bitch fest that you needed to have Blake Edwards there to make the Pink Panther movies be as comedically magical as they were. Yeah, no, but I kind of agree with you that I'm not the biggest fan Blake Edwards has. I don't know that I, I've seen a movie of his that I think is really great. And like you said, the Pink Panther stuff is, yeah, it's fine. You well, know, his Peter, biggest fan is Julie Andrews, one would assume. No kidding, man. She showed her tits in SOB. Mm -hmm. Excuse me. She showed her breasts in SOB. Her bosoms? Her chest. She showed, you know what? She showed her nipples in SOB. That was the bigger deal. You can show boob. As long as you don't show nipple and it's kind of okay, which I don't understand well, because Dave you're Bo seeing as Dave fully pointed out, once you see nipple, you've seen the whole thing. <laughs> he is a smart guy. <laughs> Dave Foley has a new podcast out called don't say cunt. <laughs> Go listen to that. It's gotta be a hell of a lot funnier. Whatever the hell we're going to say. <laughs> sure. Yeah. We're, we're asking actively asking you to listen to another show right now. <laughs> But 10, Chad, I, I I had never seen this before we agreed to do this on the show. Nor had I. I just thought it'd be a good idea because how could a movie with Dudley Moore and Bo Derek be good? I felt like it was a safe bet. I didn't feel like we were rolling the dice on 10. No, you know? no, 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 no. And, and it delivered and more. 
Um, so let's get into this. Opening credits. First of all, dedicated to Dick Crockett, who, by the way, Chad, was a stuntman and associate producer on some of the Pink Panther movies and actually starred as Gerald Ford in the Pink Panther Strikes Again. Just thought it'd, uh, it'd be nice to know who it was this movie is uh, dedicated to. You know, a, a hardworking uh, Hollywood stuntman who, who made good and has <laughs> this big pile of shit dumped at his grave. <laughs> After the dedication, thanks for nothing, we get Dudley Moore and Julie Andrews, which they have shared top billing. Their names are side by side. Then, of course, we get Blake Edwards. Then the movie's title, 10. Following that, we get the name Robert Weber. And Robert Weber, he's a career actor from the 50s and he worked through the 80s. And for everyone who doesn't know who Robert Weber is, which is pretty much everybody, Robert Weber in this movie looks like if Brian Cranston from the year 2042 traveled back in time to 1978 to make this film. I thought he looked like uh, a slightly overinflated George Harrison. Hmm. See, I, when I think of George Harrison, I think of George Harrison with the beard and the long hair. Wait, wait, which is, hold on, maybe I got the wrong name. Uh, who's who's uh, Zorro the Gay Blade? George Hamilton? George Hamilton, that's what I mean. A slightly overinflated George Hamilton. Yeah, George Harrison's a beetle. Um, I learned that recently. <laughs> I've been listening to them all my life, and somebody was like, hey, did you know there were four Beatles? And I was like, well, there's John, there's Paul, there's Ringo, and then, I don't know, Pete something? I'm like, have you ever heard of My Sweet Lord? I'm like, not long enough to know the who sang it. That song's a piece of shit. Following this, we get the words introducing Bo Derek. You remember when that was a thing? The and introducing, you know, like, ladies and gentlemen of the perverted viewing audience, may I proudly <laughs> present to you Bo Derek and her gigantic, beautiful breast and her sculpted ass. <laughs> what? Right. Yeah, this movie, maybe I'm going to try to limit how much I complain about this throughout this episode. Oh, please Be don't. Because <laughs> of this movie being 40 years old. And I think that there is, a, I think you have to have a movie like 10 to get to more enlightened thought, you know? <laughs> This movie is essentially your uncle at Thanksgiving. Yes, this movie is it is a such a direct response to like women's sexual evolution in this country and the sheer terror of middle-aged men at the time. <laughs> When this movie came out, Bo Derek was 22 years old, which, fun fact, I share a birthday with Bo Derek. Oh, very nice. As well as Richard Dawson and Joe Biden. Well, that is good company, sir. <laughs> That's a that is a great uh, dinner. You imagine that survey says boobies. Sorry, hun. I was just looking at your cans. I mean your rack. I mean your knobs. It was a different time when I was a kid. My dad used to say, "Joey, if you gotta look at a rack, make it a big tan rack." That's my Joe Biden. <laughs> it's really good. Yeah. <laughs> when I was riding that subway, that train. <laughs> From my shoebox of a house to Washington, D.C., I would look at all the tits on the girl. He never said, no, that is, he has only done it. Uh, no, that's not and true. If he, and if he did say it, he probably, you know, plagiarized it from someone else who said it. And it was probably me, and fuck you, Joe Biden. <laughs> um, anyway, so uh, with pia some pianos playing, it's a real jazzy kind of number we're getting here. Henry Mancini did the music. 
Ah, Mancini, the mascot's best friend. That one was for you. Thank you very much. <laughs> it's every time I hear uh, the name Henry Mancini, what I think of is. <laughs> Really? You don't yeah. think the Pink Panther theme? No, because it's like, again, this just tells me the kind of guy Henry Mancini is or Hank to his friends. <laughs> what do you got? A movie with who? Peter Sellers? What a star. What's it called? The Pink Panther? I got a song that sounds like a kitty cat. <laughs> what about you? Friday the 13th, you say? Sounds spooky. <laughs> Hank Mancini, journeyman songwriter. <laughs> It's kind of like when Paul Anka was writing all of those jingles on, you know, one of those early Simpsons Treehouse of Horrors of just like, <laughs> like the Pink Panther, like, it's the pink, the Pink Panther, the Pink Panther's gonna get you. That's gonna be $42 <laughs> right there. It's a down payment. Right. Now you want me to write the whole thing? You give me a hundred bucks. <laughs> You mentioned that Blake Edwards uh, directed Breakfast at Tiffany's. And you know what? There is only one thing that comes to mind in that film every time the title is spoken. And you know what it is. I've seen the the one image of like, I don't even know what the fuck is going on in the scene. I, th I thought it was ripped off from Pretty Woman for about 15 years. Uh, it's where Audrey Hepburn is on the left side of the screen and then some dude is beside her and then that's it. Oh, no, no, no. I'm talking about Mickey Rooney dressed up as that racist elderly Asian stereotype. Oh, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I forgot that that was Breakfast at Tiffany's that that was yeah. from. Yeah, Mr. Yanni Yoshi. Yeah, I, so I have seen that. Yeah, and then and then Peter Sellers pulls this same routine in one of his Clouseau performances, where it's like, you know, dress him up as a Chinaman. It'll be hilarious. Right. No, Blake Edwards used the term Orientals a lot. <laughs> And not to his credit. <laughs> I, again, Blake Edwards is a no-talent hack. I don't know what Julie Andrews ever saw in him. His body of work at best is a rotten pile of barely watchable trash. Except for the <laughs> aforementioned Pink Panther movies. There are a couple of those that are pretty funny. The original, A Shot in the Dark, is funny. Which, that was written by William Peter Blatty, who also wrote The Exorcist. Didn't he do uh, Murder by Death, or was that someone else? Because <laughs> that I it, that feels like I, something I saw and thought was funny. <laughs> you know, it wasn't funny, this movie. And also, you can't do opening credits where it's white text on a black background with quiet piano music. That's a Woody Allen thing. It's the world's shittiest PowerPoint. <laughs> <laughs> if you want to put your audience in a trance, uh, play them the front of this movie. So finally, we get an actual movie. Yeah, let's start our movie. We're 10, 15 minutes into this review and all we're talking about is opening credits. And so there's a butler with a candle. Hold on. It's a black man. Yeah, this again, this is a 40-year-old movie. There's a lot of shit that's problematic. The only time you're going to see a black butler in a movie these days is if it's a fucking period piece. I was hoping this was the butler. Because any other scenario, let's be honest, Ed, that's unthinkable. You know, <laughs> right. And this is a Blake Edwards movie. Hell, anything's possible. We saw Mickey Rooney as a Chinaman. Yeah. And, th I mean, the most stereotypical kind of shit. And that wasn't that long before 10, let's be honest. <laughs> So the the butler shows up with a candle and greets Dudley Moore and he says that the power's out, but it's not out, Chad. It's a surprise party and the lights come on and surprise. Right. No. And, and then a little dwarf person is surrounded by actual humans in the shot. And mm -hmm. it's it's one of the first reminders in this movie that Dudley Moore is two and a half feet tall mm -hmm. and is in fact uh, a leprechaun. He is weak. Dudley Moore, aside from Burt Reynolds in that first season, I think he's the first actor 
actor to star in two movies that we have reviewed. Of course, this and uh, the Santa Claus. Mm hmm. And in the star of both, I would. Hmm, all right, we'll we'll talk about what's the better movie at the end of this. But uh, if there is such a thing in that battle, but Dudley Moore, I genuinely like. Before we started recording tonight, as a matter of fact, I was watching a little bit of Arthur because I was like, did I forget? Is Dudley Moore not very good? And then <laughs> I watched uh, a, a couple of select scenes from Arthur. And it's like, oh no, he's he can be wildly funny if he's drunk. Yeah, but it's also the timing. Like that whole scene with the moose in Arthur. Is is genuinely hysterical and a lot of it is because of the look that he gives the moose at the end of the scene and it, it, he's just a good comedic actor and there are moments in this uh that we'll get to there are some whiffs of that i think in this movie but it's just too blake edwardsy and it's all it's a bunch of middle-aged man navel gazing about being able to get hard at 50 it's just a bunch of bullshit during his birthday party we find out that dudley moore is celebrating Celebrating the milestone age of 42. Uh-huh. And then we cut to Dudley Moore, who's sitting with Julie Andrews, and they're at the piano, and they're singing, and they're playing together. And, and then my first thought was, is she his wife, girlfriend, sister, we don't know. And in fact, I didn't really know until a full hour into this movie. Yeah, you're going to get it wrong a couple of times. <laughs> At, at one point, I was like, oh, they're not married. Is she his sister? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, this movie will juke on you like that. Of just characters are like, who is this? It happens a lot. Like, is that, you know what? We'll, we'll save it for later. Because there's a whole lot of moments where you're just like, are they an astronaut? Does she have, you know. Like, what is going on? Yeah. So the, the, here's one of the weirder things that happens in this scene to kind of set the stage for this movie being like, this collection of weird decisions. So they roll this cake in and everyone's singing happy birthday. And then he sings, uh, at, at the end of the, you know, happy birthday to you. And he goes to me and sings really loudly and then drops to his knees. Like he's in the, the finale of Jesus Christ superstar or something. Uh -huh. And then blows out the cake. And it's just kind of weird. Did you see that video of Mitt Romney blowing out his birthday candles? I did not. I heard it was odd. It is odd. They bring in a birthday cake for him. And he's like, oh, golly, geez, this is great. This is really, really great. You know, I don't eat sugar or caffeine or milk or dairy or food. But I understand <laughs> it's the custom of earthlings to blow out fire on the days that celebrate their birth. So I'll do that. And he reaches out to the cake. And rather than blow them out the way every normal human being has ever done in the history of ever, Mitt Romney reaches out onto the cake and picks up each candle individually and blows on them out one by one. Oh, wow. That's yeah. really strange. <laughs> he was almost president. <laughs> yeah. Could yeah. you imagine having such a weird individual in the White House? It would be fantastic, wouldn't it? Right. It, it, what a horrible age we have come to. Where it's <laughs> like... That? Where that is like the best case scenario. Like, oh, I, I wish upon a star we'd had a president who was involved in a religion that didn't allow black people way back in 1986. <laughs> In our movie, Dudley Moore is all adrift in life. And as the party's winding down, he and Julie Andrews, they're sitting around and they're sort of, you know, chit-chatting as guests one by one, you know, wander out. And Dudley Moore tells Julie Andrews, hey, you know, never throw me a surprise party ever again. To which Julie Andrews says, you're welcome, because Dudley Moore is 
ungrateful and he's kind of an asshole in this whole movie. Yeah, this is speaking of Burt Reynolds. <laughs> If it had not been, if you had cast Burt Reynolds in this film, the only reason I think he wasn't in this is because he was like, I'm just trying to lose the asshole. And this movie is in his wheelhouse. This is his character from the end, only trying to get laid all the time. Yeah, this is his character from everything in this film. It, it's from that genre of the hyper macho man pretending to be sensitive and aware of women's needs but completely missing the mark <laughs> right it's getting it co- totally wrong like this is blake edwards midlife crisis i'm sure uh of making this movie and addressing these feelings that he has it's like without oh. a doubt it's like dude you're so terrible you're a bad person i've never had anyone throw me a surprise birthday party and let just for the record i've made it clear to anyone in my life that would do such a thing that i truly would prefer a swift kick in the nuts over a surprise birthday party i don't like surprises i don't much care for parties putting them together really makes the alternative of a foot to the dick a true potential alternative i i'm not gonna say that but that's just be because i have uh large balls uh but <laughs> It's not a brag, it's just a fact. And also, I agree with you on the the party side of it. Like, to me, that's the real downside of the scenario. But if a bunch of people showed up and screamed surprise at me and startled me and then gave me a kick for my troubles and then just left, I think I could live with it. So you're saying you, people are in your house, you show up, your black butler gives you a candle to light your way into a room. Everyone screams surprise. Immediately they give you a cake and then everyone just trots out and goes home. Yes. When you put it that way, that sounds pretty fucking amazing. <laughs> right? It's all the yeah. chit-chat and small talk I don't want any part of. Get out! Right! <laughs> so, how old are you? How about you get the fuck out of here? I got a cake to eat. And I can't do it with you watching because it's going to be embarrassing. <laughs> Dudley Moore goes to the bar to get more drunk. And here we get to meet Robert Weber, who in this movie, we don't really know anything about him at all. And apparently Dudley Moore and he work together doing what? Who knows? Maybe we'll find out. Maybe not. This movie likes to play fast and loose and really coy with characters' names, relationships between one another. It's truly a mystery. <laughs> Yeah, it's a movie that, uh, as I've often said, will dare you to understand what's happening. Let's get to the next day. Yeah, so they're they're on the beach where Dudley Moore is just kind of watching people run and talk on the beach while he's playing piano. And it's this beautiful house and his black butler shows up again to bring him drinks. And then his buddy Hugh is lounging out on their patio. And it turns out that they're, uh, he's a... Wait, is that is Hugh Robert Weber? Yes. Sorry. I, I didn't pay attention to names in this one. I just got the actors. Uh, you know, I had to do research and shit. Don't worry about it. So Robert Weber is hanging out uh, on the patio, and it turns out he is a songwriter, and Dudley Moore is a composer, and they're working on a song. And some hunky guy comes running up from the beach, and he enters the house. Right. So that can just happen in this world. Like, good-looking beefcake might make its way, you know, into wherever it is that you're composing music, because I think that's what these guys do for a living maybe well, i don't know and immediately because you know the the season we're doing is all about fucking i'm mm-hmm. thinking are all these guys about to start fucking and the, right and then dudley moore is like i'm going home and 
And this friend who we have not been introduced to is like, how's Sam? And he's like, oh, she's fine, guy. Who, who, who are you talking about? Who's Sam? Yeah. I don't know who you are. He says, <laughs> so Hugh, uh, or Robert Weber, is like, hey, um, you know, that he's given Dudley more shit about, like, that's not an emotional response, and you could stand to be more emotional. Real, sorry, just just for everyone scoring at home, Sam is Julie Andrews. Right, okay. yes, sorry. So, <laughs> right. Now, right, not the the boy toy that came in. Right, the the beefcake that comes in, he's he's just in and out. He's he's kind of gone or something. But he's but like Dudley to the Moore, shower or some shit. Right. Where it's just like, <laughs> all right, guys, me and my speedo are gonna be in the lounge if anyone needs us. So so Robert Weber and Dudley Moore are chatting about Julie Andrews, and he's Robert Weber is wanting to know about their relationship together, and Dudley Moore is just like, you know, hey, you it's know, fine, it's, 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 yeah, it's common complicated and then robert weber says you know what if i were to psychoanalyze you dudley moore you would come out gay wait what right and i didn't put two and two together at this point and understand that he was a gay character because because this movie never bothers to mention that and so for a good 10 minutes i was like the fuck movie where is Where it's just like, wow, that was really out of left field and and kind of hurtful in a way. And also just, you know, wildly inappropriate, but trying not to judge the movie too harshly because of the time that it came out and all that. But still, it was just like, God, that was rough. And, and, and he was like, I couldn't do that to Sam, meaning Julie Andrews. And then Dudley Moore is like, I'll give her your love. And then uh, Robert Weber is like, you know what? Give her yours. Huh? How about that? How about you take a look in the mirror and you you find that little boy inside of you that needs to be held, and then you take that home to Sam. I'm all I'm thinking about is how bananas this movie is about to get because it is about to get so incredibly weird. Du- well, Dudley Moore leaves this house and he backs out in his yellow convertible Rolls Royce <laughs> out of the driveway of what I'm guessing is Robert Weber's house. I, I don't know. And the license plate on his car reads ASCAP which is the abbreviation for the American Society of Composers and Publishers. I only know this because I looked it up. And when this movie came out, the internet wasn't a thing. And so basically, what, a few hundred people knew what the hell this was? I assume. I don't think the that ASCAP was making a whole lot of news. And also, it's a weird detail because it's like, are you the head of ASCAP? How did you get that license plate? Also, <laughs> has the head of ASCAP contacted you about this and been like, hey, motherfucker. <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to, I've been trying to get this vanity plate for 18 months and they say you've got it and you're not even in ASCAP (laughs) (laughs) right what what's ASCAP (laughs) yeah Dudley Dudley Moore drives off he kicks in an 8 track tape of Julie Andrews his girlfriend or maybe wife or sister or aunt or manager or lawyer maybe she's his accountant we don't know but we hear Julie Andrews singing and she belts out this song that it Karen Carpenter should have covered this. You know what I mean? It's Dudley Moore syrupy as shit. It does like it's one of those songs that has a a weird pop beat underneath it when it should be just a ballad. And it's you know it, it's trying to be the title song of Ten. But it is this grotesque 
anthem that excuses the misogynistic behavior of Dudley Moore's character throughout the film. The lyrics, I know because I looked them up. <laughs> They're the bad, lyrics, yeah. The, the lyrics are, he's no more than a man. Nothing special you'd run to see. He's a child to be sure, at times insecure, but he pleases me. He's a man, nothing more, sort of clumsy and absent of mind. Not the kind of beau I dreamed of long ago that I would find. It's just like, this guy is a low-life loser, but I love him just the same. Like, the only way that's okay is if it's like, I have volcanic orgasms. Like, he is awful. He's a terrible person. But I come like a spigot. There's There are lyrics in this song. It says, Why is it I never doubt him when I've known all along? Now and, now and then, the very best of men must roam. Sure, I get lonely without him. These are lyrics from the song. Like, he's all fucking somebody else, but he's my guy and he pleases me. And the whole time, like, as this music is playing, it's Dudley Moore driving around and just checking out young women. Dude. It's... <laughs> It, this is the beginning, like if the music were different and a little more ominous, it's the beginning of Henry Portrait of a Serial Killer. <laughs> During his driving around and ogling of, of women, you see no less than 15 people just randomly jogging throughout this city. And and it was kind of, you know, a sign of the times and the health craze that, that accompanied jogging. But in this scene, Dudley Moore stops at a red light. And two women stop to jog in place during their run. Neither of these women are wearing a bra. And one of these women is barefoot and wearing a t-shirt that has a sunset on it. And in big letters, it says, Aloha. (laughs) The only way that this scene makes sense is if these two women who are running down a major traffic thoroughfare, as they are, would be if there was a guy like 20 paces behind him with a knife wanting the money that he's due for the weed they stole. (laughs) <laughs> this movie is nuts, and we are just getting started. Right. It's the same reason they are wearing uh, what they are is exactly the same reason as uh, why Harley Quinn had high-heeled sneakers on for the duration of uh, of Bo, Suicide Squad. It's just like, well, this is just how the ladies look pretty, right? Bo, if you were driving down the street in a major city and you see two women jogging and one of them is wearing tight shorts like a loose fitting tank top and she's barefoot i mean with like nasty brown covered soles of her feet i I mean are you not immediately thinking drug addict prostitute runaway i mean like there's nothing about this that makes any sense you're not since you're not thinking oh i'll bet she's from ethiopia and she's training for the olympics what you're describing there is squeaky from. Yes. <laughs> As Dudley Moore's getting his daily musical affirmation for what a horrible human being he is. Do you is. think she, she recorded it for him and put it on I, the shittiest audio format of all time? I think he wrote it for her, then she recorded it for him so that he could drive to wherever he's going every day and be like, oh yeah, this is great. This is exactly the kind of thing. You and I wrote this song that makes me feel good. Would you sing it to me? <laughs> as, he's sitting at a, as he's sitting at a red light, a second black Rolls Royce pulls up and sitting in the back seat is 
Who? Bo Derek. And she is wearing a wedding dress. And, and Dudley Moore looks over and sees Bo Derek at this red light or stop sign for maybe what? Three seconds? If it is that. Not, it's, it's not very long. Right. And he immediately just goes from, you know, six to midnight. And it's, <laughs> and it's like, I don't know who that was, but I've got to fuck her. And, yes. And thereby setting in motion the arc of this film, all based on a guy like, how do I trick her into fucking me? And he, he speeds off and chases this black Rolls Royce to a church where Bo Derek is marrying Flash Gordon. <laughs> uh-huh. Or as he's known by his lawyer, Sam Jones. But everybody else in the world knows him as Flash Gordon. Sam Jones played Sam Jones in that talking teddy bear movie, Ted. Uh-huh. Did you see that? I did see that. That. Mo- that movie made me laugh, and it's a, a lot more than this movie did. <laughs> oh, sure. So Dudley Moore, because he is so horned up to get a glimpse of Bo Derek in her fucking wedding gown, because <laughs> that's what does it for him, I guess, is virginal brides. And he is driving in the wrong lane so that he can get this view of her and crashes headfirst into a car, which is, it turns out, a police cruiser. Mm -hmm. And then they let him go with just a ticket, even though his license is expired and he has no registration. Well, he's a white guy, Chad. It's what's what's he going to get up to? Also, he's only, you know, two foot eight. So it's like, ah, eh, what's the worst he's going to do? Like stab you with a, a, a little needle? <laughs> but so the cop, notably, is uh, named Bill Lucking is the actor's name. He was also an actor in Aaron Brockovich and Sons of Anarchy and a bunch of other stuff. Most notably, though, the Keep the Home Fries Burning episode of Murder, She Wrote, in which he portrayed <laughs> Bo Dixon. Interesting. Or not. <laughs> After getting off with a warning, Dudley Moore proceeds to go into the church and watch Bo Derek and Flash Gordon get married by a preacher who is portrayed by Molly Ringwald's Grandpa Fred from Sixteen Candles. And just so that you know the difference between the two, he's the grandpa who gets to watch his wife feel up Molly Ringwald uh, when she says, oh, she's gotten her boobies. Mm-hmm. Also, uh, Bo Derek in this scene is being walked down the aisle by actor James Noble, who, uh, of course, is most memorable as Governor Gatling on Benson. Uh, he is mm-hmm. credited as Dr. Miles in this film, which is part of a trio of roles in 1979 alone where he played a doctor, Dr. Metz on Heart to Heart, Dr. Miles here, and then Dr. Blankenship in Promises in the Dark. Interesting, or not. Just to sort of paint a picture, Bo Derek is marrying Flash Gordon, and the preacher is Molly Ringwald's grandpa from Sixteen Candles. Bo Derek's dad is Governor Gatling from the TV sitcom Benson. And let me tell you right now, we haven't even arrived at the weirdest part of this scene. Because following that, Dudley Moore hides in the wedding flowers like a mentally ill person, whereupon a bee flies up his nose and stings him from the inside of his nostril, causing this strange little Englishman to swear loudly and completely disrupt the wedding ceremony. 
Yeah. Adults. Adults. Presumably wrote, performed, and filmed this entire scene with deliberate actions in an effort to tell a comedic story on film. It's just nuts. Yeah, it, it's astounding, Chad. And speaking of uh, Sam Jones, while perhaps being most famous for playing the campy uh, Flash Gordon uh, in 1980, he also appeared in a surprising number of two-part episodes on cable dramas, Chad. Line of Fire Parts 1 and 2 for Shades of L.A., Race Against Time Parts 1 and 2 for Baywatch, Thunder in Paradise Parts 1 and 2 for Thunder in Paradise, and of course, Noir Parts 1 and 2 for Silk Stockings. Interesting. Or not. What is going on in this movie? Oh, right. Does so, he, Does he have dialogue in this film, Sam Jones? He, he, uh, I think he has one line, and then the rest of it was like, hey, just say he's on the phone. So anyway, so it's Julie Andrews is showing up at Dudley Moore's house. Or somebody's house. We don't know. Maybe it's his. Maybe it's hers. According to my notes, it was like, oh, that's her just going home. It turns out that's not the case because, again, this movie <laughs> will juke on you. Like, things that you just assume to be true because it didn't tell you otherwise. It's just like, oh, no, no, no. Sorry, my mistake. It's like somebody telling you a bad joke where they tell you the punchline first. And they're like, wait, wait, wait. Let me go back for, for a second. Okay, did I tell you that there was a priest? No, you didn't. Oh, okay, so there's a priest, and by the way, Sam is actually uh, not a pop star, as you might have thought with the 8-track. She's actually, I don't know, on tour in some stage show or something? Don't worry about it. Also, they're not married. They're just friends or something. And, oh, it's just, fuck you, movie. She walks into this house. Uh, she's got a big paper grocery bag that has um, groceries popping out of the top of it. She's got some celery. And she's got, a, like, a bottle of wine. And there's some other items popping out of the top of the grocery bag. Which, you know what? But we've already been over this on this show. I don't need to see groceries popping out of a grocery bag to know that there are groceries in there. For get it. For more, see the episode on Sharky's Machine <laughs> for complaints about groceries. And if you're indexing the series as a whole, you might want to cross-reference baguettes. <laughs> Julie Andrews comes inside and Dudley Moore, he immediately, to his credit, says that a, a bee, uh, well, here he starts lying. He says a bee flew in his car and stung him on his nose. And that's why he has this giant red growth, the size of a second nose on the side of his normal elfin nose. And then he says that he crashed his Rolls Royce into a police car. So he's not 100% a liar he's like 98 percent a liar right he's he's like the devil chad there's just enough truth in his lies to make it sound believable <laughs> he left out the part about stalking a strange woman into a church to watch her marry flash gordon yeah you would think that would be the first thing you'd be like you're never gonna believe who i saw today i saw flash gordon and <laughs> and also uh, let me tell you how i saw him <laughs> so there there is a joke here i actually like where uh she says well have you taken anything for for your nose and he says i took for your birth control pills and she says you need to take an antihistamine and he says i don't like those they make me pregnant it's a very silly joke but i liked it 
And it was a reminder that, like, oh, Dudley Moore can be funny. If there's a joke that actually works, he'll make it make it land. So they're eating dinner at their house, somebody else's house. Did they break into a neighbor's? Nobody knows. Maybe they're at a restaurant. We don't know. But where they are is they're outside on a patio overlooking the city. I'm guessing it's Los Angeles. We never really know. <laughs> and they live up on this hillside. And Dudley Moore is sitting there kind of preoccupied with this thinking, I'm assuming, you know, he's wondering if Bo Derek and Flash Gordon are having sex, which, by the way, they are. Um, or at least in my version of this. We don't really ever see that happen. And then, again, we still don't know if Julie Andrews, what her relationship is with this man. They, they've they yet to explain that to us as the audience. Right. I, I assumed they were married at this point. I, I thought that at one point. I, I, really, I, met, I went through all of those. I went through wife, girlfriend, sister, business partner, like like therapist. I was like, I don't know who this person is. So she tells him, though, she's been getting strange vibes from him all night. And and he says something about like how the uh, the drugs that he's taken from his nose uh, are probably affecting him. And she says, well, the, the bee sting was close to your frontal lobe, which sounds not like a joke, but also not true that that would affect you. Uh, <laughs> if it went really? No, you're right. It doesn't work out. It, I guess it's closer than if he got stung on his stomach. It's closer to his frontal lobe. How weird is it in this movie to see Julie Andrews in leather pants? It's not bad. It's just weird. Is it more weird to see her in leather pants or to see her give the finger to... You know what? We'll get to that. I think uh, that was justified. I'm I'm calling that like a no jury would accuse, uh, would convict her on bad behavior for that bird. So let's... So let, let's take three steps back and then we'll take four steps forward. Yes. So what we're talking about here is that uh, Dudley Moore is all preoccupied. So he gets up and walks over and peeks into a telescope that he has set up on this uh, patio deck. And he looks over at his neighbor's house and his neighbor, who is played by uh, Don Kalfa. Um, Kalfa was in Night of the Living Dead. Return and, of the uh, Living Dead. All subsequent sequels. Um, he was the hitman in Weekend at Bernie's, again, if you're a big uh, uh, Kalfa fan. But in this movie, we meet him and he appears to be wearing like a woman's robe and he is playing billiards with a topless female. And in the kind of way that you can only be topless in a movie from 1978 to 1986, it is completely gratuitous and wholly unnecessary. Right. And he's wearing a kind of a kimono uh, situation. Yeah. And it, it's one of those things, like you said, it, you only see it in, in movies of this era where it's just like, I don't know, my boobs fell out and then I just left them. It, it, hey, sweetheart, <laughs> it's your shot on the pool table. And, and this woman bends over to take a shot, you know, at her turn of playing uh, billiards. And this neighbor just opens his robe and starts having sex with this woman from behind. It is the most casual doggy style maneuver I have ever seen. It's it's from from a present day perspective, it's really shocking. It, in fact, it's the kind of behavior that only exists in pornography. It does not exist in in present day cinema. Like you would not pay your 8-10 bucks to go see a movie and see something like this happen. Right. To see somebody Get it in this position. <laughs> the the preceding scene has to be like them kind of smacking each other a little bit. Like, you like it a little dirty, don't you? <laughs> you know? Like, this is what Fifty Shades of Grey should have been. 
<laughs> it's, it's not like that at all. But wait, this is just the first foray into what this neighbor is up to. We're going to come back to this repeatedly throughout. He is a problematic bachelor, Chad. <laughs> he is a gentleman of uh, uh, he what you might call a sensualist. I would imagine. I will. I would prefer the term rapist. But you know, he's what? got a lot of cocaine. A, a lot, a lot. Like wh- however much you think it is when you hear "I've got a lot of cocaine," it's a bunch more. I envision there being a wardrobe in one of his bedrooms no. that, when you walk inside and close the doors, it takes you to a magical land that is that you first think is snow, and it's just cocaine. Yeah, it's and called just- Cocarnia. <laughs> and you just fill your your pockets and your mouth and your shoes and whatever uh-huh. else you want you and you bring it out and just share it with others and it's like there's so much more in there for you mr toot snoot comes <laughs> prancing along <laughs> hey there buddy you want to open a restaurant would you like some tokish delight <laughs> oh yeah all the trees are rolled up 20s <laughs> You ice skate on mirrors of cocaine. (laughs) What a magical world of Jerry Bruckheimer Productions it must be. (laughs) After Dudley Moore watches this dude sexually assault his girlfriend. And it's just like, huh, he's really got it. I really like the cut of his chip. If only I had a reason to go to his house. (laughs) I should ignore Julie Andrews. What a what a skank. I mean, she makes me sick. <laughs> Dudley Moore is in his bedroom later that evening with Julie Andrews. And the two of them are uh, contemplating having sex. So at this point, I was like, well, this clearly isn't his sister. Or if it is, this movie's about to get really weird. But Julie Andrews, she ends the show uh, for the neighbor who's now watching them through his telescope um, hoping to see the two of them have sex. But this is where she gives the neighbor the middle finger and then she closes the blind so that he cannot uh, reciprocate with his own uh, uh, pervertedness. So he and can't I, masturbate? I, one would assume. I never thought that I would see Mary Poppins give someone the finger. As I noted earlier, I didn't expect to see her topless in a movie either. And when I saw that as a teenager, it, it was shocking. Like, like, whoa, what is going on here? Yeah, I got to tell you, I don't know if I've ever seen Mary Poppins all the way through. Really? Yeah. Hmm. Well, you know what? That's that's on you. Um. <laughs> you know what I have seen all the way through? The Ouija Damn. experiment. <laughs> that's not right. That, that should that though that shouldn't exist in the same person. Anyway, no. so uh, yeah, so we get into a good old fashioned fight with Julie Andrews and Dudley Moore. Because Dudley Moore uses the term broad to describe the woman that he saw at the neighbor. Uh, yeah, this this conversation between the two of them belongs in Neil Simon's trash can. <laughs> it is. It's one of those things that I'm sure has been done as a duet in many a drama club inappropriately. It is straight out of Barefoot in the Park. I mean, it really feels like it's trying to be clever and charming and funny with this, you know, playful, rapid fire back and forth about who you would call a dame versus a woman versus a broad. And it just 
is it's just insufferable that is the word that leaps to mind yes and it culminates in a real blake edwards zinger tm where uh she she says you should take losing like a man and he says i could if you want so determined to win like one and then she gets all pissed off about it but as soon as he says that he goes oh christ and I watched this with my wife and she laughed out loud at that just because it's that moment, you know, when you're having an argument with someone and then you fuck up and cross the line again, it's not funny, but his response of like, Oh Christ. Like, yeah. Like I've really done it now. It's a, it is a funny moment. Sure. Just because Dudley Moore can be funny. Yeah. Like Edwards cannot though. <laughs> not, not by himself. <laughs> um, so she, at this point is just like, you know what? I should, I, I should probably go. And I'm like, go where, where do you, do you not live here? And, <laughs> Zing, says the movie. And um, he... uh, Look over there! Oh, oh oh my God, she's not his wife. Uh, And he turns on The Tonight Show, which was kind of a a nice little throwback. And then he says, you know, I thought we were going to make love. And she says, it'll cost you 10 bucks and an apology. And then (laughs) drives off with him in the doorway, you know, hard as a rock, calling after her. And then he locks himself out uh, and, and makes his way... To the patio, where he once again is just like, I know I'm in a bit of a pickle, but let's see what's going on at the neighbors. (laughs) (laughs) He peeks in, and sure enough, the neighbor is just fucking a girl again, who blows (laughs) Dudley Moore a kiss. She's riding this creepy neighbor. And it, it the, here's the thing. She had to be like constantly looking up there, waiting for him to sneak a peek. Yeah. It's unsettling. It's right. It's really creepy on both sides of the equation. Like her, the proper response for her is, oh my God, your neighbor's looking at us. Close the blinds or I'm going to quit fucking you this instant. Take a page from Mary Poppins. Give him the finger. Yeah. Something. Have some. Have some goddamn self-respect. This this movie, you are not as bad as this movie treats you, young lady. Uh, anyway. Speak, speaking of self-respect, in our next scene, Julie Andrews, she's on stage and she's rehearsing maybe a play or a musical. You're like, oh, so she's a performer? I thought it was in Glorious Bastards, the musical. <laughs> They are all sitting around like like smoking cigarettes and drinking wine uh-huh. with their weapons. And she's just like, oh, Nazis, you know, like walking around the room and is all beside herself about like, I thought there were supposed to be more tables or something. And it's like, oh, who could care? What is going on in this room? Are you all being paid for this? Are you putting on a show? Maybe not. Right. Maybe it's just it's just like the local chapter of AA. Right. You know, it's, it's, it's the 8 a.m. Friends of Bill W. meeting that she's helping to orchestrate for the, the neighborhood roustabouts before they go off to try to find day labor positions for 10 bucks a head. It's a, it's a support group for people in love with narcissistic middle-aged assholes. <laughs> They'll just get together and sing a jaunty tune. She she has a little break and she goes over to call Dudley Moore on the phone. But at the same time, he tries to call her and they both get busy signals. This was a thing that used to happen on phones. Mm-hmm. Um, it's supposed to be a comedy of errors moment, but it, it really isn't. You, you know, I, I was thinking about this because you know how we like to do a little fan fiction to, to fix movies around here. Uh, yeah, you do that. But go ahead. <laughs> we do. You know, the, the show. As a show, we do that. And... <laughs> 
<laughs> so I thought it would be fun. Like, what would make that joke funny is if they're doing the like I'm calling you, but she's trying to call me. Is you showed the uh, the actual uh, operator connecting the lines and like man it's all over the place and you know make it a little bit of a physical comedy gag almost that you know what please don't drag the runtime of this thing out any longer than two hours what are you fucking thinking blake edwards (laughs) have you no shame sir we well we gotta get in all of these scenes of the neighbor fucking and two hours of him scratching his head about Oh, what if I never fuck a 20-year-old again? Grow the fuck up! <laughs> let's get back to, to Robert Weber's house. Oh, um, right. Yeah, let's get back to sensitivity training with Blake Edwards. Get on your fucking soapbox about homosexuals should be treated. Please. <laughs> that young beefcake boyfriend, he's swimming on the ocean, and then Dudley Moore and Robert Weber, they're composing music together. And I really question if this movie was trying to really be forward thinking with having these two gay characters. Yes. Because if it is, we're actually taking, it seems like a couple of steps backward when Robert Weber says that Dudley Moore is acting like a child in regard to his relationship with Julie Andrews. And then Dudley Moore calls Robert Weber a pain in the ass fag. No, no, sir. An insufferable fag is what he calls him. <laughs> and I was like, huh? Only this time it had already been kind of confirmed that Robert Weber was with the super hairy twink. And so when he's like, hey, I'm tired of you being a little bitch and more whipping out the insufferable fag on him. I was like, whoa, somebody went like over the top on this in a rough way. And again, this is all 40 years ago but then it lapses into all this talk of like tutu and sugar pump fairies and stuff and it's like it's just like insulting homosexual bingo of like that's a slur that's a slur that's a slur that's a stereotype (laughs) so so after he gets done uh you know passively aggressively insulting his business partner you know lyricist dudley moore goes to see his therapist so that he can talk about bo Derek. wait 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 before we get to the therapist my favorite uh-huh. part of this scene is after dudley moore leaves and it's just robert weber and his boy toy when he's like hey where are you going how long are you gonna be out and his boy toy's just like fuck you i'll be back when i get back you like this young ass, right? I'll, then you'll get it when you get it. How about you just keep writing the checks, old man? <laughs> yeah, but again, I'm really going to give this movie way too much credit. At the end of the film, sort of dealing with an older man chasing after a younger lover and how, you know, their relationship, not just because they're a gay couple, but just as a reflection of generational love affairs and how their love affair falls apart it it sort of helps to provide, I don't know, like a cautionary tale for Dudley Moore to go back and be with Julie Andrews. Or at least that's what the movie's trying to do. It doesn't really work, but you kind of get that. Or being, yeah, I, I guess making the point of like, well, it happens to every man of this age. It doesn't matter what you're putting your dick in. You just want to put it into a younger one. I guess. <laughs> I mean, if I were yeah. if I were doing a college paper, that would be my thesis. Blake Edwards says with the film 10, all older men want to get it wet, but not in someone of their own age. Oh, no. <laughs> Much younger, says Blake Edwards. That's where sexy time is. 
Dudley Moore goes to his therapist and he's talking about Bo Derek here. And Dudley Moore's therapist asks him, how would you rate her on a scale of one to 10? And Dudley Moore says, oh, she's an 11. Why isn't she a 10? The name of the movie is 10. Right. And it's the only time, like I thought him rating women was going to be a thing. And it's no. not ever. <laughs> like, you're right. The it It's frustrating how dumb this movie is over and over again. Dudley Moore's therapist is played by a black actor named John Hancock, who famously played Doc Brown in The Sting Part 2. Yeah, I, I looked him up. I couldn't find anything interesting. Sorry. <laughs> Dudley Moore's just talking about Bo Derek and how much he has the hots for her with this therapist. And he also talks about how much he resents his gay partner's life of, as he puts it, faggotry. <laughs> what? Bingo. That did it. <laughs> Got it diagonal. And the, the free play was Sugar Plum Fairies, by the way. His therapist tells Dudley Moore that he may be fixated on Bo Derek because she's younger and he's older. And that Dudley Moore may even be fantasizing that Bo Derek is a virgin. Which, first off, what in the hell is that all about? I, I have never understood the desired appeal of a virgin as a sexual, you know, object, whether it's in, you know, certain cultures or religion or literature. Because in my opinion, if I ever had to get like a tooth pulled by a dentist, I don't want to go somebody that had never pulled a tooth before. I want to go to somebody who's pulled hundreds of teeth so that they know what they're doing. Yeah, I, I don't disagree with you at all. I, that has, I've always thought that that stereotype of of being the, uh, the virginal, you know, uh, coy, chaste, Sort sort of young woman. It's like, what the fuck is the point of the bother? Like, why, why, why? I, I guess I, I I feel like a romantic poet because I'm like, eh, why fuck around with the chase? Like, have you read the poem "The Flea"? That. How about we just do that? <laughs> Skip all the. Oh, let's. Well, let me read you a letter that I've written you. Um, just get to some What's fucking. Once Bo, once uh, Dudley Moore, you know, gets this newfound perspective and clarity of his life condition from his therapist, which he doesn't get at all, he decides to go back to the church where Bo Derek and Flash Gordon got married. It's here that Molly Ringwald's Grandpa Fred shows up and he answers the door of the church like it's his house or something. And uh, Reverend Grandpa Fred, he immediately recognizes Dudley Moore as whatever his character's name is. And he's like, hey, you're that famous songwriter. So now we've learned that Dudley Moore is a somewhat famous musical composer. <laughs> Finally, we understand what our main character does for a living. It's pretty exciting. And during the scene, Reverend Grandpa Fred, he plays Dudley Moore a song that he's written on this tiny church organ uh, because Reverend Grandpa Fred, he's a songwriter too. And Dudley Moore just sits in the corner and laughs at this old man as he's playing and singing Dudley Moore is a real asshole in this movie. Well, and his whole reason for being here is to get some info out of this guy so he can continue his crazy pursuit of this woman he wants to fuck. <laughs> and and also, uh, a quick note about the priest here uh, that is played by veteran actor Max Showalter, who did a lot of television, uh, appeared six different times, Chad, on Perry Mason alone, including three times as his pseudonym, Casey Adams. <laughs> now that's a lot of murder. Sorry, I... <laughs> I, I lapsed into e-entertainment e television there for a second. All of this doesn't even begin to tap into the weirdness of this scene. Because while he's singing and playing, 
There is a gigantic black and white Great Dane sitting on the floor of this rectory. Again, not the weirdest part of this scene. Because at this point, famed character actress <laughs> Nidra Volts comes walking in, hunchbacked, carrying a tea set on a tray. Now, Nidra Volts played Adelaide. She was the second housekeeper of the Drummonds on different strokes, sandwiched between Mrs. Garrett and Pearl. In this scene, she looks to be about 187 years old. <laughs> I'll tell you, this scene legitimately makes me laugh. Unironically, I delight in this scene. There's only, there's only one moment of this that made me laugh, and it was just out of sheer shock. Let's break this down. <laughs> Her character shuffles into the room carrying this tea tray and she absentmindedly walks. She walks into a fireplace opening, like meaning she literally walks into the part of the fireplace where you would build the fire. Stopped by her head because she's so stooped. She doesn't walk into the fire because of her posture. At which point Dudley Moore is trying to turn her around because he is concerned she's about to, you know, self-immolate. And, but, and then once she's turned around, she crashes the tea tray onto a coffee table for comedic effect. Let's be honest. This is just an example of full-blown dementia. <laughs> it is, but, but I am laughing my ass off already. None of this is the weirdest part of this scene. As Nidra Volts shuffles out of the room, she rips a huge fart, and Reverend Grandpa Fred says, <laughs> "When this is the craziest, the craziest line in this movie." He says, "Whenever she breaks wind, we beat the dog." What is going on in this movie? <laughs> I have no idea. I have no idea what that means. Uh, it. I mean, I lost my mind. I was laughing so hard. And I, I was like, what? I have no idea what led to beating the dog. I don't understand the joke. He's a priest. Like, none of this makes any sense. This movie is straight up bananas. Swamp <laughs> but, Thing couldn't do that. <laughs> but my note here was, if only this were the whole movie, it would be amazing. If it just went from one weird non sequitur to another, it would at least be hilarious. Well, then it becomes top secret. <laughs> like, <laughs> right. And that's a much better movie. During the scene, Dudley Moore gets it out of the preacher that Bo Derek's dad is a dentist. So naturally, Dudley Moore goes to see him immediately. Uh, but before his arrival uh, at his you know newly made dentist appointment, he stops by his house and he tries to call Julie Andrews again at her play rehearsal, whatever she does. Uh, but she's busy on the stage. And while he's on the phone uh, trying to call her, in the background, the telescope is framed to remind us that he's a pervert. And Dudley Moore, he goes over to the telescopes after he can't make his phone call. And he's like, well, ha, ha, let's take a look at what's going on in my neighbor's house. And he peeks into the telescope. And this neighbor is now having a three-way with two women. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It, you know, you escalate. That's comedy, Chad. And by the end of it, it's like he is going to have two ladies, a dude, a couple of goats. Um, yeah, it it's one of those things I like. Oh, yeah. I remember when movies were like this. <laughs> <laughs> and in a failed attempt at 
physical comedy. The telescope spins around and clocks Dudley Moore on the head. And then he just goes ass over in down the side of this hill adjacent to his house. And then as he tries to climb back up the hill, Julie Andrews is calling him on his phone. And so it's ringing at the top of the hill and he is, you know, in a state of he's trying to to climb back up to to answer the phone and he just keeps hilariously falling down he finally gets up there but he misses the call and then he you know tumbles into the swimming pool and it is hilarious it's not funny at all no 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 it is the uh textbook example of failed hijinks um it yeah none of this is, is very funny and which is kind of a shame because again coming off the heady uh highs of uh you know dog beating <laughs> dog beating at old women almost walking into open flame um we've really fallen but then so so he goes to dr miles office and it's like oh Here's Dudley Moore in a dentist's office. This will be funny. And uh, he, he has made up this bullshit excuse because lying comes as natural to him as breathing. Where mm-hmm. he says he needs to uh, leave for a trip. He needs to be seen quickly. And uh, Dr. Miles, a.k.a. Governor Gatling, uh, looks around his mouth for a second and says, Well, you have six cavities. So we're going to go ahead and take care of those so you can enjoy your trip. And he gives him some Novocaine, like injections in his gums. uh, Here comes the comedy. Right. Get ready, folks. And then sets to work and he tells his assistant, like, hey, I need you to cancel some appointments. It's going to take a while. And here's here's a fun fact for you. The dental assistant in this movie is played by Deborah Rush, who most recently played Piper's mom on the Netflix series Orange is the New Black. Here is an even more fun fact. The Venn diagram of people who saw the movie 10 and Orange is the New Black overlaps and inside it is me. (laughs) Well done. (laughs) Hello. (laughs) All by myself. Anybody? Hello. All by myself. (laughs) Anymore. (laughs) You know, once I feel the music, Chad, it's really all over. I just let I just let you play yourself out. <laughs> oh, sometimes I just fall asleep after that. It just wears me right out. So anyway, that while they're working on Dudley Moore's mouth, um, he he says that he's going to the Virgin Islands. There, you know, it's the old gag of I'm trying to talk to you while I've got your mouth all novocaine up. And um, Doctor Miles says, "Oh, you know, uh, we love Mexico." That is where my wife and I uh, like to vacation. In fact, that's where my hot daughter that you want to fuck is right now. <gasps> yeah, and he's like, ooh. And, uh, but then uh, the drilling begins. And the scene kind of ends with Dr. Miles like, Hee! you know, going into a tooth. And then when we next see Dudley Moore, his face is all blowed up from the dental work. As he goes to pick up a prescription, and the gag here, and will be for the next couple of scenes. Oh, God. Because, uh, man, it would be funny if it were only for a minute, and it just goes on forever. Uh, but he can't speak because of all the the deadening of his mouth and whatnot. And uh, so he we get this when he's trying to pick up a prescription, and he finally hands the prescription to the, the person behind the counter, and then goes to an adjoined diner somehow? That you, but that used to be a thing. Remember, you would have like a pharmacy and then there would be like a counter. Like I remember way back in the day that Walgreens, 
um, used to have uh, a restaurant a, a attached to it, that there would be the, the, the pharmacy and kind of the general store. And then beside it, there would be a place where you could get coffee and food. Moore is at this attached diner. Uh, he orders some coffee and he's kind of smiling at this pretty girl across the way who's smiling back. And this is where the joke should end, where he uh, drinks some coffee and it completely just dribbles out of his mouth onto his shirt as he's making eyes at her. And it's like, oh, okay, that's a funny physical gag. But then, Chad, we go to his house where he answers the phone and it's Sam who doesn't. Julie Andrews. Right. Who doesn't recognize his voice because of the Novocaine because he's all like. Anyway, it's way overdone. And like I said, this goes on forever. And then she hangs up and calls back and she hears his Novocaine voice and he and hangs up on him again. And then it's busy again because they're trying to call each other again. QR operator gag. And then he drinks some wine. And the one funny bit I thought in all of this was the two glass system that he has rigged up where whatever dribbles out of his mouth just goes into a glass that he can later drink. It felt like I a, agree. It felt like that's that's a funny bit. Yeah, it felt like a real it's always sunny in Philadelphia kind of move. I just think that that's a move that Dudley Moore practiced, uh, you know, after he came home from the dentist in real life. Pro He's probably. Like, you know. <laughs> Look like let me let me show you how I do this. Yeah. It's like well, he's, he's he's got a lot of great ideas. I'm not saying that Dudley Moore doesn't have great ideas. He clearly does. You know, it, it, it's interesting because there was a big rumor, uh, especially in the in the 80s when his condition was starting to worsen. Where you mean alcoholism? No, 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 no. Like people thought he was drunk. It was it in theory, Chad. What what I have read was that the his behavior was due to the condition that he had. And 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 made it look like he was drunk, and everyone thought he was, and he mm -hmm. and he wasn't. He just had this frontal lobe, whatever. Can I tell people that that's what's wrong with me? Yeah, I think you need a diagnosis from an honest to goodness doctor, and not your uncle. No, oh, shit. Yeah. Okay. the The official paperwork can't read. Some guy said I got something <laughs> wrong with my head brain. He's got Dudley Moore disease. <laughs> I got the, the DMS, the Dudley Moore syndrome. Not to be confused with DMX, who was just going to give it to you. It also didn't help that in the majority of his most popular films, he was constantly drunk. Right. The the best movie he ever did, he was totally drunk in. Yes. Um, <laughs> it's good. It's so, a good movie. And so, But he then he takes a pain pill that was mm -hmm. prescribed to him. And then it's another, like, she calls back and then he hangs up on her this time. And then Julie Andrews calls the police. And then she tells her son, question mark. Yeah, she's got a teenage son. When did this kid show up? <laughs> right. All of a sudden there's a kid. And she's like, I'll be right back, person that we've never talked to before. <laughs> and you're like, whoa, 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 whoa. Before you leave, can you just address him by name and role? Like, <laughs> I need a playbill for this fucking movie. Dudley Moore heads back out on the patio deck and he's all jacked up on Novocaine and booze and pain pills. So naturally, what does he do? Let's have a little peekaloo in the old uh, sexoscope. He sees his neighbor and he's having a party where multiple women are walking around nude. Some of them are wearing like crotchless leather outfits. Uh -huh. and, and in addition to naked women, we also get to see some naked dudes laying around with their big hairy asses hanging out. And while like, Dudley Moore is watching this, he's just like, oh, oh ah. like he is 
into it. <laughs> well, we're going to find out why in just a minute. Because at this point, the cops show up and they have their guns drawn. And Dudley Moore still can't talk because of the cotton and the Novocaine and the booze and the pills and whatever frontal lobe thing you were talking about. And this whole scene is meant to be funny and it's not. In fact, that should be the tagline for every Blake Edwards movie. It's meant to be funny. It's just not. Right. <laughs> Blake Edwards. You'll see how it could have been funny. <laughs> Yeah. And so the cops get him uh, down, but he he finally gets like a, a pen and paper from him and writes down like, hey, I'm George Wepper. I'm the guy who owns this place. And they finally get the message and they take him inside and they're just like, it's such a white guy like situation for him where the cops are immediately like, well, all right, let's put the guns away, Mr. Weber. Tell you what, if you're going to take all these pills and do some drinking, you probably got a little reefer in there too. Don't worry. Don't mind. In fact, I'll take it if you got one. I'm just going to escort you back inside. Uh, Phil, help me get him in bed. Let's take off his shoes. This poor guy looks tuckered out. It's probably all the drinking he did today. That'll wear you right out. All right, Mr. Weber, I'm just going to tuck this right up here. I'll tell you what, I'm going to leave $20 on the table for pizza if you get hungry. You have a good night now. Here's a nice little vial of cocaine that we took off of a Negro earlier today. You know what? You do with this what you will. We're not going to come back and we're not going to ask any questions, all right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, it, it's a real rough life that this fucking overpaid baby has. So uh, then after the cops leave, because why wouldn't they just leave? Uh, he decides he's going to head down the mountain to his neighbor's. So he gets in the car and another comedy errors, Chad, uh, our old pal Blake Edwards. It could have been funny um, where they pass each other. Uh, but they don't. Yeah, but they don't see each other. Right. They're just. Yeah, it's just a wah, wah kind of situation. And then he ends up at the neighbors who invites him in. And he's wearing like an Indian headdress or some shit. Yes. And is like, hey, pal, why don't you get in here? And meanwhile, Julie Andrews shows up at Dudley Moore's house. And goes around to the telescope where she then sees Dudley Moore all natural, all three foot one of him. Slow down. She shows up at his house and she peeks in that telescope and she sees Dudley Moore, who is now naked Uh at a daytime sex orgy. He is all jacked up on Novocaine, wine, and pain pills with naked women all around him. Right? Th- this movie is bonkers. D- to make it even more bonkers, Dudley Moore is like, hey, this is crazy. That's the telescope you watch me jack off and fuck women through. What if I look through your telescope? And then he peeks in it and he sees Julie Andrews staring back at him and he's like, oh, gripes. <laughs> yeah, it's a real Looney Tunes. Like, whoo <laughs> That's my wife, girlfriend, business partner, sister, aunt, cousin. Also, I think she's my boss. I'm not sure how. Who's got my knickers and my pants? I got to get out of here. (laughs) Where's that vial of cocaine that the police officers took off of a Negro? It's just... That'll help me sober up. (laughs) You just do a little toot for for every drink you've had. I've had 37. Toot toot. Like a fucking engineer. When you get busted at a daytime Hollywood Hills sex orgy, there's really only one logical conclusion, 
as to what your next step would be. And that is to call a travel agent and immediately book a flight to Mexico where you can go stalk Bo Derek, who is on her honeymoon with Flash Gordon. Yeah, he he has a couple of more pills and a little more wine on top of the orgy that he was just at after trying to call Julie Andrews a couple of yep. times. And then, yeah, and then just decides to fuck off to a different country and try to go rape this woman. Uh, I mean, it's not rape. It's just I'm going to stalk a woman to another country in an attempt to have sex with her. Yeah, I think pretty much if I'm on the jury, I'm thinking that's that's whatever whatever the rape is whatever leads up to rape whatever the crime is it's first fucking degree he bought plane tickets and so he's going up the river but yeah so julie Andrews tries to call him but he's in mexico and the the gag here is that he's basically sobering up in a different country where he's completely unintelligible thanks to novocaine and pills and booze and and assumedly a relatively quick flight yeah, he, well, he makes his way to this resort, and he is sweating profusely from his armpits, his neck, chest, and back. He looks like Ted Stryker after landing a Boeing 707. <laughs> yeah. I write these for, I write these for <laughs> Yeah, I mean, like, all you have to do is say that, and I can entertain myself for 30 minutes just replaying that movie in my head. Dudley Moore makes his way to this resort in Mexico and he just passes out in front of the assistant manager in his bedroom. This assistant manager is like 60 years old and any normal human being would immediately call an ambulance if you saw this man in this state suddenly become unconscious on a bed in your resort. If I'm this guy, I'm thinking, holy shit, there is a man dead here in front of me at my resort. And I cannot let this get into the local papers. Get a tarp, a boat, we're headed out to sea, and we're going to take care of this problem. Yeah, and (laughs) the police, at the very least, if you thought he was going to die, right? Like, just, you know, we need to get them out of here. Um, But if he's going to die, I'm thinking he's dead. The way he collapses is meant to be like he's just all tuckered out. If you were seriously the the assistant manager of this resort and this person is covered in this much sweat reeking of booze and they just buckle onto a mattress like their heart stopped like we're we're done when when he collapses on the bed my thought was the last time we've seen an ass sticking up like this dan calfa was casually thrusting into it <laughs> Back in the good old U.S. of A, Julie Andrews is yakking it up with Robert Weber as they're sitting on the beach with the waves crashing. And she's talking about how Dudley Moore is, he's just riddled with bad behavior, and he's but he's just so damn lovable. And then here we get this conversation about male menopause. I, you know what? I don't even want to dignify this scene with any additional commentary. I'll take care of that then, Chad, because... As a middle-aged man, coming to terms with mortality is just part of the deal as human beings. It's not just men. Women do it too. (laughs) Suck it up, males. Bunch of pussies. I need to fuck a teenager because there are more sunsets behind me than ahead of me. What a bunch of assholes. (laughs) And done. Let's head back to the Mexican resort where Dudley Moore goes to the bar, of course, and he orders a drink from Brian 
Dennehy. Hi, how are you? Character actor Brian Dennehy here. Uh, I I don't know what I was just hanging out in the lobby. Blake Edwards said that they were doing a movie. I said I can pour some drinks. So uh, what's going on? The man who hunted John Rambo in First Blood is a bartender at a Mexican resort in this film. The man who brought those cocoon pods, what gave Wilford Brimley and Don Amici geriatric erections, is a bartender in this movie. The guy who was Chris Farley's dad and married Bo Derek and Tommy Boy, wait a minute. That's right, Big Tom. Isn't isn't Bo Derek in this movie? Mm-hmm. Is this the BDU? BD being short for Bo Derek and Brian Dennehy. Uh, Could this be a shared universe? I wonder. No, it's probably not. Nah. Uh, but, but he goes, uh, Don is Brian Dennehy's name in the film. And, <laughs> and he orders. I, I do like the fact that when it, Brian Dennehy says like, hey, what can I get for you? He goes, I'll have amphetamines. I, I think that's funny. And then he ends up just having a double brandy because let's keep the party going. And <laughs> so he drinks that real fast and then orders another because, hey, why not? I'm on vacation inexplicably. And <laughs> I, you know, I bartended for many years of my life. And if I sat down and I poured someone this amount of alcohol in a glass and they poured it down their throat like it was Gatorade and then a second time and they did it, it it's, it's leaving Las Vegas. You are drinking to die. Also, you're going to get an awful tip because that money <laughs> is going to booze, not you. <laughs> it's a trick I learned when bartending. <laughs> Cut to later that night, and Dudley Moore is getting, uh, excuse me, I mean remaining drunk at the bar where he's been talking to Brian Dennehy all day. And they're having a really up-close conversation. And for a moment in this scene, I'm thinking, is Brian Dennehy going to kiss Dudley Moore? Right. I thought, well, we've already established that we live in a, in a world where gay people exist. Is Brian yes. Dennehy about to kiss him? His sleeves were really short and he was showing off his, you know, muscular biceps. And I was like, this dude's going to be gay, but he's not. Well, and, and they're having this conversation, like it's first date conversation about, boy, we're just people of a bygone era. And, you know, the kind of music that I listen to, well, the kids these days, you know, blah, blah, blah. And uh, anyway... Uh, ultimately, they well, don't kiss, which is unfortunate. And well, in this scene, Dudley Moore goes on about again how today's music sucks, and then he calls out the specific song "Why Don't We Do It in the Road" as an example of shitty music. A Beatles song, Bo. I don't. You know, you mentioned earlier that you're marginally familiar with the Beatles, but how does this movie have the audacity to criticize? Anything written by the Beatles? It's a fine question. As someone who is familiar with 75% of the Beatles' work, <laughs> I, I do find it... It's one of those, like, don't you dare invoke the name. Don't you dare besmirch the good name of the Beatles, sir. You can get their name right out your tongue. Um, and, and in fairness, it's like, yeah, that's one of the shittiest songs on the White Album. I mean, let's talk about, you know, Rocky Raccoon or uh, I Will. That's the the, the grand joke of uh, the White Album. I, Why Don't We Do It In The Road is immediately followed by I Will. <laughs> that's funny. That's a Beatles joke. That's funny, Blake Edwards. Dudley Moore staggers out of the bar and he doesn't see Bo Derek uh, slow dancing with her husband, Flash Gordon, in this scene. Dudley Moore goes back and he calls Julie Andrews and her teenage son answers the phone 
again, she has a son. And this teenage son tells Dudley Moore to piss off, which good for that kid. Looking out for his mom. Uh-huh. She's his mom, right? Yep. I, I think she's his mom. Roommates? I, mate, who knows? Dudley Moore staggers back to the bar, and Brian Dennehy is still bartending. You know, he's working a double shift, I guess. I have a theory he's an angel. You're an alien or something. <laughs> right. He has one of those jaunty little caps that he tilts back, and he's got a third eye underneath the cap. <laughs> he get, uh, Dudley Moore gets back to the bar, and who's sitting there, but it's... Who's sitting at the bar? None other than the mom from E.T., or maybe the mom from Cujo, or maybe the mom from Critters. You can take your pick. I, I go with pre-Werewolf Reporter from The Howling. <laughs> it's that lady. Mm-hmm. Wallace, she recognizes yeah, she's wonderful. She recognizes Dudley Moore as being a famous composer, so we've now learned that. And she says that the two of them met at Truman Capote's party. Of course. Of course they did. Yeah. Oh, pardon me. I dropped a name. <laughs> like, the, like, the social world that this movie exists in is just a bunch of jerks. I just don't like any of them. These two naturally stagger back to Dudley Moore's room so they can have sex. But Dudley Moore cannot get an erection. Maybe because the mom from E.T. or Cujo or Critters. She smokes Salem cigarettes in this movie. And she tastes like cigarettes. And just, you know, that menthol flavor... Is a real weenie shrinker. Or it could be the 47 brandies he had. <laughs> and and the endless supply of, of pain pills and Novocaine and jet lag. And... Right, some sort of horse paralyzer <laughs> that the guy in the lobby gave him. He didn't work there, but, you know. He was wearing a hat. <laughs> D. Wallace starts going on about how her ex-husband couldn't get an erection with her as well. And then she starts talking about how he would violently smash holes in the wall and that he would cry because he couldn't get an erection. That had to be uncomfortable for her, right? I mean, on many different levels. Oh, certainly. And this culminates in her asking the rhetorical, one presumes, question. I guess some of us just don't bring out the man in men, do we? And you're like, what in the fuck is going on in this scene? How did we get here? We went from Dudley Moore drunkenly not being able to get it up to her having an existential crisis about somehow being repulsive to all men everywhere. Can't you just see Blake Edwards on his typewriter like clickety click click click? You know, the breasts, and men, dink. Oh, boy, that's really good writing. Julie, come down and read this. Too busy. <laughs> no, thank you. <laughs> She's like, just tell me what scene I have to show up in and what I say. And don't tell me anything about this. I, I want to be able to look at you in the morning. And I can't do that if I've seen all of 10. I think there is a better than 50-50 chance that she's never seen this movie. <laughs> I I bet she had only ever seen Breakfast at Tiffany's, and then she saw about like half of the next movie he directed, and was just like, "No, thank nope. you." <laughs> we cut to the beach of this Mexican resort, which has very hot sand, Ugh. and we know that because people are just hopping around from foot to foot, going "hoo ha he hoo ha hot hot hot," and this this just pretty much. Lays the foundation for every scene we get going forward on this beach. It's terribly unfunny. Again, another great tagline for every Blake Edwards movie ever. 
It's terribly unfunny. <laughs> I just hate him. Well, uh, but I never met the man. I you know, I hate his work. So, yeah, I'm sure he's a nice enough guy. Or was. Uh, yeah, he's dead now. He's nothing. You know what? No, but- he's not. Think about... The fucking in this movie and the misogyny and uh, just everything you know. I mean, there's no way he was a good person. He, he was a good guy for the time. Let's say that. He was he was one of the good ones, Chad. Because he had gay people in his movie? That he's at least trying to say something, even if it's wildly misguided. You know, I think his heart's in the <laughs> right place. I think he means well. I just think he doesn't understand what... I don't think he understands the subject he's trying to talk about. That he's he's making a very personal movie and it just turns out that he's emotionally retarded. <laughs> Where he, he stopped at, girl's pretty, and never moved past that. <laughs> One, like like, like them when they're young. So Dudley Moore shows up on the beach, right. and he's wearing this ill-fitting gray pair of sweatpants and a sweatshirt, which if I see anyone on the beach in the hot summer weather wearing a full matching gray sweatshirt and sweatpants, I'm going to take a photograph because then I will have evidence that I saw a drug addict in the wild. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. It's so cold out here. My feet... <laughs> A very hot. The rest of me, extremely cold. I've got the chills. It's like I need more heroin or something. Where's that vial of cocaine that they found on that kind Negro? I tried snoring the beach. I ended up with a bottle cap and a cigarette butt in my sinuses. (laughs) (laughs) So... A waiter shows up, uh, by the way, in the background of this scene for no reason is D. Wallace looking depressed. And it's like, thanks for making this not funny, especially now. <laughs> Where I just think about this like oh, damaged woman watching Dudley Moore practically rub one off on the beach looking at this 22-year-old girl. Well, well, speaking of which, Bo Derek does finally show up in this movie with Flash Gordon. And it's here that we get to see her with her hair in these tight braids with little beads that go clickety-clack, clack-clack, <laughs> whenever she turns her head around. Yeah. It's, it, it had to be maddening. In this scene, Flash Gordon decides that he's going to run off and get a surfboard. And to your point, Dudley Moore really starts staring down Bo Derek as she just slathers up her body with suntan lotion, and the camera just lingers on Bo Derek. I, I, her husband had to love this. It's not just the camera, Chad. I don't know if you paid attention to the sound design in this scene, but it sounds like a fucking David Cronenberg film. It's just all... And I mean, it's it's like when they do those like super microphones where they, they get what insects sound like and shit where you're like that doesn't sound like anything from this planet she's just rubbing her thighs and her arms and it's it is just oh god yeah just make that skin shiny (laughs) it's it's really uh through a a modern day lens objectification isn't even a big enough word yeah this goes on forever it's different angles like just now put your leg up a little bit. Just, no, not both, just one. That's it. That's it. Don't fucking move. 
Yeah, and Dudley Moore is just, he cannot break his gaze from her until this, you know, waiter that you talked about, he's really aggressive. He comes up and kind of gets in his face and he says like, you know, can I get you something to drink? And Dudley Moore's like, yeah, yeah. He's like, I'll get you a a Bloody Mary. And he's like, you can go down and, and get in the ocean and drink it. And he's like, well, the sand's hot. And the waiter's like, well, I'll carry you down there. So the waiter gets him this drink and then the waiter gives Dudley Moore a piggyback ride down to the ocean and just sets him in the water, Bloody Mary in hand. Uh-huh. This feels like a fever dream. Like if you describe this to to someone of like, hey, yeah, it was at a resort in Mexico and the waiter came by and offered me a Bloody Mary and I told him I want to be in the ocean. So he picked me up and I got on a piggyback and he carried me into the water and then I got down and I was still drinking the Bloody Mary. And then there were these two fat dudes beside me and they were chit-chatting about, I don't know, whatever. And then they got mad because I was British? And you'd be like, wait, 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 did you dream that or did that happen? Because one of them's more likely. Once he is dropped off in the water, to your point, things get really weird. Because to his to his right, to Dudley Moore's right, is a former Marine. And he's just this paunchy, middle-aged white guy. But the guy to Dudley Moore's left, and they all have drinks, the guy to his left is wearing this bright red t-shirt. And it has this oversized oval on it. That inside, there's this iron-on print of a white fluffy cat in the middle. And the red guy shirt, he's drinking a an island cocktail. But it's not from a coconut or a pineapple. It's out of a cantaloupe. And this guy's like wearing this red bucket hat. And he's got a, an expensive camera on his shoulder. And the strap keeps falling off. And it dips down in the water of the ocean. Everything about this scene, to your point, yeah, it's like something out of a dream where, you know, you're expecting a dinosaur to come out of the water and start yodeling or something. You're just like, (laughs) what in the fuck is going on in this movie? Uh Uh-huh. Yeah, like, they're all just standing in the ocean drinking. Like, that's how you spend your day, you know, of like nipple deep with a girl drink drunk kind of drink in your hand. And that's it. That's your day. But when they ask him where he's from and he, you know, they're like, oh, uh, England originally. He's like, yeah, England. And they're, they kind of give him a look like, all right. I mean, we're not going to ask you to move or nothing, but. How did they not make a gay slur comment at this point is beyond me. It's a super strange scene. And this is backed up. Although I do want that kitten shirt, something fierce. But this is backed up. I mean, can you imagine? Wouldn't that be the best if it like showing up at a holiday with that fucking thing on? Oh, that'd be the best. So, <laughs> listeners, you know what to do. Um, and then the next thing we get to see Flash Gordon, who has procured his surfboard, but he's fallen asleep on it. And he's just sort of floating out in the water as Dudley Moore stares wantonly at Bo Derek with the quiet sounds of the ocean waves crashing gently in the background. Yeah. And he, there's one of those, like, what is it? Summer of 42 kissing in the surf kind of things. Well, Bo Derek busts Dudley Moore staring at her and he's really embarrassed for a few seconds. And then this is where, yeah, he starts daydreaming about, you know, the two of them making out on the beach. a la from here to eternity. And this waiter shows up to interrupt his, his daytime sex fantasy. And he's like, senor, do you want another drink? Which, Hey, look, pal, this is Dudley Moore. If the glass is half full, there better be a refill on the wall. What do you think? I gotta- <laughs> what has my behavior told you? Yes. <laughs> he's wearing, 
He's wearing sweatpants and a sweatshirt. Just like, of course he wants another drink. Well, he, then he, he immediately interrupts a drug deal happening with the staff. Anytime you've got that many employees of a resort huddled around each other. <laughs> There's money and weed changing uh-huh. hands. And, but yeah, Dudley Moore bounces in that. Hey, I smelled something narcotic. And... <laughs> They're they're explaining uh, like all the surfboard. He's like, yeah, I might want to go out on a surfboard. And they're like, yeah, well, it's it's not dangerous. Don't worry. There's only one person that ever died, and that's because they stupidly fell asleep on a surfboard. And if you go past this point, then you're just sucked out to sea, and they're never going to see you. You mean like Flash Gordon is doing right now behind us? If you look over there, that guy. You mean like him? Oops. Never mind. No, I mean. <laughs> Nothing. And so he basically sets about to murder this dude so he can go back to his chair on the beach and start, you know, rubbing himself under the towel to Bo Derek. Uh, and, and this is the iconic moment where he fantasizes both of them running towards each other on, on the beach. And it would have been funny, another Blake Edwards specialty, it would have been funny if they had actually gone into each other's arms and we got to see how much shorter Dudley Moore is. You know, it it, it would have been a nice little juxtaposition of like this sexual fantasy and, and this moment of reality crashing in of like, oh yeah, he would just be tit level to her, you know? Right. That would have been funny, but they don't do anything like that. You just see them running and then they embrace, which again, why is this scene here? It's not 30 seconds earlier. He was contemplating the fact that there is another human being out on a surfboard who is going to die. And then after this scene ends, Dudley Moore decides to just go jump on a sailboat and he races out into the ocean towards Flash Gordon, who is still asleep on his surfboard. And Dudley Moore screams at Flash Gordon, and, you know, to wake him up. And he and Flash Gordon gets so startled that he falls off the surfboard into the ocean. And then Dudley Moore grabs Flash Gordon's arm, and then they both fall off the sailboat into the water. And then Dudley Moore grabs a rope from the back of the sailboat, so they're kind of tethered to it. And then <laughs> Dudley Moore is holding on to Flash Gordon. And he's holding on to the rope, and you're thinking, this is the most insane shit that has happened in this movie. <laughs> but wait. I, you do it. Good Lovin' starts playing. <laughs> no. And the shittiest shark puppet, this side of Joe versus the volcano, shows up where this, it's the, if two kids with snorkels were pushing this fin through the water as Roy Scheider leveled a rifle at them, only then would it have been shittier. It is awful. And so, yeah, inexplicably in the movie 10, Dudley Moore and Flash Gordon are being chased by a fucking shark, and it is nonsense. How on earth can you take anything that happens in this movie remotely seriously? This movie is bananas. (laughs) I mean... I'm speechless. I'm telling you, this is the craziest damn movie we've ever done on this show. And then we cut away from the, you know, shark encounter to go to Robert Weber, who's hanging out with his boy toy, watching a report on the news where it's just like Dudley Moore like, yeah, I was real drunk and I got on a boat and then I saved someone. How crazy is that? And Julie Andrews sees the same news report as well. And she's like, I'll be son of a bitch. You know, yeah. like, how, why is he in Mexico? 
you know. Right. Why is he in Mexico? What is he doing on a sailboat? Would he, I, to the best of my knowledge, he doesn't know what that is. He's too small. I mean, he's just going to be bait in in the ocean. Clearly, it's bananas, man. Right, the next scene, Dudley Moore rolls back into the Brian Dennehy bar, and he goes over to the piano and he starts playing this new song. And uh, Dennehy's in the background; he's kind of listening with moony, you know, glassy eyes. And then the mom from E.T. Cujo and Critter she shows up for some reason just to have her there. And then Dudley Moore decides that he's going to go over to Bo Derek's you know hotel room or resort room and she answers the door in nothing but a towel and Bo Derek invites Dudley Moore in and she immediately shows him her ass and then in the reflection of the bathroom mirror Dudley Moore gets to see her fully nude at this point she offers him a joint and some booze mm-hmm. I mean this seems like a party Chad this is everything that he could possibly have wanted. Yes. And so the two of them decide they're going to go to dinner because Flash Gordon is in the hospital and he's got a real bad sunburn. And so these two eat dinner and then they go to the beach and they're walking along and they're holding hands, mm-hmm. which I was like, what is going on here? Yeah. <laughs> and then they sing, you know, tonight I belong. <laughs> And then they go over to back to the bar and Dudley Moore and Bo Derek are dancing in the lounge while Brian Dennehy and the mom from E.T. Cujo and Critters, she's looking on even more sad than ever. And then they start to talk and E.T. Cujo Critters mom, she asks Brian Dennehy, she's like, why is it that men get more handsome as they age and women don't? And Dennehy's just like, I don't know. She says, that doesn't seem fair. And he says, yep, nothing fair about it. Anyway, bye, D. Wallace. (laughs) See you in another movie, maybe. Clickety click like that. Doesn't seem fair. You're right. Ding. Man. Julie, come down. I've got another winning scene for you. Oh, thank you. I'm (laughs) shitty. Dudley Moore and Bo Derek go back to her hotel room and... This movie gets weirder than it has ever been so far. And I know what you're thinking, loyal listeners. You've heard about a lot of weird shit. You've heard about bees up people's noses. You heard about Molly Ringwall's grandpa marrying people. Um, We just heard about a shark trying to eat Flash Gordon. We're really about to take this to a new level of this is off the charts weird. (laughs) In this scene, Bo Derek starts to explain to Dudley Moore that she had an uncle who turned her on to Ravel's Bolero, which you mentioned in the opening, and how she likes to fuck to this music. Mm-hmm. But she clarifies very quickly, like, oh, 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 I know what you're thinking. You hear uncle, and you think it might be gross. No, no. This is just my stepmom's brother. It's cool. <laughs> That's like that's like somebody saying like hey I got a gun and I shot your radiator but it's cool don't worry about it cuz I also shot your cousin <laughs> and that's a bigger deal. She follows that clarification up and she says Uncle Fred said that Bolero was the most descriptive sex music ever written and he proved it. <laughs> oh no. I'm going to throw up. Yeah, so the music starts playing and she's getting naked. And and she leaves Dudley Moore in the living room, and she's like, and and the bedroom, by the way, is visible, like it's it's just a cabana. But there's yeah, it's some just a big open area, right? But there's some steps up, and it's kind of there's a little bit of a divider there, so it's somewhat obscured. And she she's like, hey, I forgot the joint. Can you bring it in here, Dudley Moore? <laughs> 
this is what he's wanted the whole movie. Right. Right? That's what's going on here. Like, you're, you stalked this strange woman to Mexico to have sex with her, and in the span of about four minutes of film time, you saved her husband, took her to dinner, and now she's saying, like, hey, come in here and have sex with right. her. Right. And he's doing the whole, like, this is crazy, this is crazy. Like, it, you're like, this is fucked up. Like, this is undermining your, your motivation, right? And then he goes into the bedroom with her, and they start kissing, and she starts pulling on his hair, and he's like, ow, ow, ow. I thought her bracelet got caught in his hair. I thought she was grabbing his the back of his head, like she wanted to yeah. get down. But I, yeah, it might be either one because the braids do get in his face. Because then she she's like, "Let me do, hey, deadly boy, roll over, I'm gonna do it on top of you." And he does, and that's where the bracelet or the hair braids get all in his face. And he's like, "No, that's not working. It's also not demeaning, and it's important that it is." It's a bunch of feathers from these roach clips that she's attached to her beaded strands of hair. Yeah. And then and then Flash Gordon calls on the phone to interrupt these two having sex. Yeah, right. And Bo Derek, she answers the phone. She's like, hey, baby, what's up? I'm just here with Dudley Moore, the guy who saved your life. Hold on a second. Flash Gordon wants to talk to you on the phone, Dudley Moore. What? Flash Gordon? <laughs> no. And then he's like, hello? Uh, yes. All right. I'm not fucking your wife at all. Not even a little. I thought about it. Didn't. And then he hands the phone back to her and he's aghast. And she's like, okay, baby. I see you in the hospital. See you in the hospital tomorrow. I just got to get done do some fucking. Okay. Bye. You go first. Bye-bye. And then she hangs up. And he is, uh, like, she's getting back into it. She starts caressing him. And she's like, we need to restart the record because I got it time so I can really go off. <laughs> and uh, and then he asks her, why him in particular? And she says, why not? And he's like, well, I, I don't understand how you don't feel guilty about any of this. And I thought that I was special. This this is truly the weirdest part of this whole damn movie. <laughs> yeah. And then then he says, I thought you were special. And I, I was look, wrong. I'm going to go on record for every man everywhere. Okay? If you have found yourself in a situation where you were willing to, in one day, go to a church, trick a preacher into giving you information about a woman's dad, and his occupation so that you could go to his workplace and subsequently trick him into giving you information about where his daughter is honeymooning with her husband. Then all jacked up on booze, pain pills, Novocaine, and God knows whatever else. You get on a plane, fly to Mexico to stalk this woman. You find this woman and just through sheer dumb luck end up in a situation where she's naked in bed and she's like, totally down to fuck and at that point you're gonna get your feelings hurt because you're not special the fact right. that he isn't gonna fuck her and cut off her head is amazing <laughs> yeah i mean every step of the way this movie could have been just the you know the manson family vacation uh but it, instead it just becomes this very sad story of a man who just can't like wrap his brain around the idea that he's getting older you know that's what this whole movie is it's just a bunch of bullshit about middle age crises and whatnot and when when he says you know is giving her all the business about like you know i thought i was special i thought you were special she just and met him like 15 minutes earlier also brother a lady that offered you 
a drink, a joint, and then a what would presumably a memorable fucking is very special. You yes! know, Bolero or not, braids or no, that is going to be a memory that you carry with you to your grave and gently and enigma- enigmatically smile about every what? time it crosses your mind. You are not, you have clearly ruined this relationship with Julie Andrews. She has no reason to come back to you after what she saw at this party. No, he was naked with five different women right but less but less than six hours earlier he was being chased by a shark <laughs> saving the life of flash gordon yeah like it's crazy but the, the most like offensive thing that he says to her is she says you know i i do what i want when i what i fuck who i want when i want i got married because it was what i wanted to do and i love my husband but and he's cool with all of this and that's the relationship we have and i don't think i have any problems and that's when he says yeah that's your problem and you're like how about you go fuck yourself you're the one who did this creepy you know pilgrimage to a virginal vagina to all the way to mexico like you're the one who is the crazy person in this scenario and the movie never seems to address that it the no. movie seems to be on his side and it's like no 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 you're the crazy person here she's just she's just being the fantasy that you wanted it's just not the way you wanted it yeah right because everything you're saying you should be saying to you know the headstone of of blake edwards because he's the one responsible for this awful <laughs> awful movie yeah so anyway then he's like well I, I gotta leave and she's like well can you turn off the record player meaning that everything south of the border is now closed for business <laughs> you don't have to go home but you can't stay here <laughs> right i'm gonna lay on the bed naked and as soon as you leave i'm probably gonna get myself off because that was your job tonight mister and you had to start getting fucking neurotic about shit I, i'm sorry <laughs> i flash back to an argument that i had about six months ago <laughs> um <laughs> <laughs> so, so, so Dudley Moore, he just heads back to uh, America and he arrives at Julie Andrews's house and her teenage son tells Dudley Moore to piss off again. And then Julie Andrews says, I can't see you tonight, Dudley Moore. I've got a date. And then some random dude shows up. Bernie Kaufman. Be- <laughs> Bernie Kaufman. Kaufman, Kaufman and Associates. <laughs> Have you been hit by something? Rolled over? Are generally abused by inanimate objects? Trips, slips, falls. We handle it all. Reach out to us. Kaufman, Kaufman, and Associates. Crates and greats. We won't be late. Kaufman, (laughs) Kaufman, and Associates. You fall down. We'll pick you up. With commission. Dudley Moore. Uh, is all sad because she's going out on a date with somebody. And then Dudley Moore calls up his writing partner, uh, Robert Weber, and his uh, it turns out his beefcake lover has left him because, uh, you know, Robert Weber is an old man and he's gay. And um, again, as I noted earlier, <laughs> did, did the younger one was just like, oh, wait a second. I'm not gay. I forgot. <laughs> I got to get out of here, Robert Weber. <laughs> Seems wildly inappropriate now. Weber tells Dudley Moore, he's like, don't chase after a young piece of ass. Stick with that tried and true Julie Andrews. Sure. I know it's rode hard. I know that it's barely what you could call a vagina. But you stay with it, George. Take it from your old pal who was just balls deep in the tightest rectum you you ever saw. (laughs) 
I mean, he's gone now. I'm real depressed about it. But that was some great fucking. Anyway, you stay with that old coin purse of a snatch. And I'll support you every step of the way because you're doing the right thing, George. I mean, sorry, I got distracted from a second telling you that story. I started thinking about I could get one whole ball and my cock all the way in there. And it was amazing. It, it fit like a glove, which is completely off subject because I know Sam. It's, it's like an old oven mitt that the stuffings come out of. You can't pick anything up hot with it anymore. <laughs> Why are you keeping it in the drawer? Throw it away. I don't know. But stay with it, is George. <laughs> we, we come back to Dudley Moore, and he's at his house, and he's singing this new song that he's written. And then Julie Andrews just lets herself into the house and then walks up and sits down beside him at the piano. And she hears the lyrics and somehow intuitively knows all of the words, and the two of them sing together. I, <laughs> yeah and i guess that they're making up and they're a couple again i don't know and they make up enough to where dudley moore just looks over at julie andrews and then he proposes in a roundabout way he says do you want to get married implying you know do you want to get married to me but he doesn't <laughs> say will you marry me right which are two di- different questions if i asked you you know Bo, do you want to get married that is not you know, an implication of, you know, presumed nuptials between you and I. It's more just a question of, are you interested in marriage to someone? Yeah, you know, I could see myself suddenly down someday. Sure. <laughs> oh, examples. Um, so she, she, after having her duet with him uh, at the piano and, and him proposing, uh, she rightfully is like, <laughs> no. Um, but inexplicably, she says, I will think about it. And it's a sweet moment. And you're like, finally, this movie is tying it all together. And we are going to have a normal, romantic, sweet, poignant ending. One would think, except, uh, (laughs) she proposes to him. I, I will think about it if we stop arguing and make more love. Um, for now though, I'm going to make us some coffee. So the neighbor, our peeping Tom friend down uh, down the hill, uh, has seen him playing piano, is, is looking through his telescope, and goes on this tirade about how he has been providing Dudley Moore with quality X-rated entertainment, and mm-hmm. it has only been getting PG in return. Right. And he is wearing, Chad, some kind of bandolier strap. It looked like... Yeah. It looks like he got into some sexy Han Solo role play. It's really it weird. <laughs> He's wearing this red elastic ammunition belt that is filled with bullets. I mean, it is live ammunition. He is wearing tight black panties. And he is with yet another random woman who is wearing this floral print robe with her breasts and her vagina just both or you know just completely an impartial display for the audience and the world around to see yeah and uh, but that's not the weirdest part of this whole scene right and this is the last 45 seconds of the movie and it's piece of resistance chad is dudley moore throwing on bolero signifying that some fucking is about to commence 
And then he seduces and begins to have the sex act with Julie Andrews. Through all of this through the telescope, even though Dan Kalfa presumably has walked away. Yeah, it's framed up with this, you know, single circle visual. And you see clothes being thrown off where Dudley Moore is having sex with Julie Andrews. Yes. And that and roll credits. And that is 10. That is Blake Edwards. 10. Thank God it's over. It's it's a terrible movie. I there are a hand like I said, uh, there are moments in this movie that made me laugh. No question about it. But as far as what the message of this movie is, it is so self-serving and so unsympathetic at this point. It's really it's weird that it is from a time where a movie like this would have been seen as progressive because I truly do think that at the time it, it came out it was being a bit avant-garde with its portrayals, but that just shows you what a shitty place we were in 1979. <laughs> like, that is not to the movie's credit. It's just that the the times were awful. So this movie seemed good. You know, so, so shines a good deed in a weary world kind of thing. Um, but in viewed through modern eyes, it is incredibly backwards. Like you said, it, it's like your drunk uncle... At the Thanksgiving Day table, just spouting off about immigrants and shit. It's the worst. It is, yeah, it is not good. If you've never seen it, it really don't. I mean, we've seen it. We've we've talked about a lot of bad movies, and this is one that is just. This movie's just bananas. I mean, you talked about having like certain scenes of this movie feeling like you're describing a dream when you watch this movie from beginning to end. It everything about it is just surrealistic nonsense. It's insanity. It's so weird. But it's also over two hours long, and it is that is unnecessary for this film. Yeah, it should have been a tight ninety. Yes, if it had been ninety minutes, and you still had the, the <laughs> we every time Grandma farts, we beat the dog. <laughs> you know, now you got something. Uh, yeah. All right, so that is 10. That is episode two. Uh, next episode, Chad, uh, we have quite the uh, the film for the ladies. We do. We've, we've had something for uh, couples. Uh, this one was arguably for the fellas. And in our next episode, we are going to have uh, a whole lot of beefcake as we examine Magic Mike. Which I still have not seen. At as of the time of this recording, it, neither have I. Okay, so I'm excited to watch this. I've heard this is legitimately good, and I'm excited about seeing a movie with likable characters and and a fun, vibrant uh, story. Basically, the opposite of this. The opposite of what we just discussed. Yes, I want something that is an actual quality film. Usually once a season, we get one movie that's legitimately an okay movie. And I think that we are staring down the barrel of just such a film. Knowing what's coming out through the rest of this season, I, I think this really may be the, the high point. Because after this, we're really going to go into a nosedive. <laughs> yeah, there is some real trash on the other side of this one. <laughs> so, uh, But hey, folks, uh, if you would, we certainly appreciate you listening. 
And we hope you'll join us uh, for the next episode with Magic Mike. Uh, more importantly, not more importantly, equally importantly, I would say, uh, like in rate and review, uh, it, it does make a giant difference in terms of the visibility of the show. So you can do a couple of things to uh, to help spread the word. One, uh, rate the the show wherever it is that you get the show. And and secondly, and perhaps more importantly, if uh, you're giggling at work and somebody says, hey, what are you laughing about, jerk? Then uh, tell them it's us, and uh, and a word of mouth uh, goes a long way. So we always appreciate that. And I think that's it, Chad. I think we're done with ten, and we never have to discuss it again. Although I can't imagine the beating the dog will be gone forever. No, that's that's going to be around uh, for for years and years and years to come. So yeah, as always, thank you so much for uh, giving us a listen. Uh, come back again next week. We are going to be talking about. Uh, sexy male strippers among many other things and we guarantee you that uh, uh, we have a lot more sexiness in this season uh, over the next four more episodes